it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of your favorite Sunday podcast, Scales and Tales, episode 91 tonight. And we have got, we're back down, we've gotten out of the West, we're back down into Texas now. And um, this gentleman uh, has, was posting on Sunday Universe, maybe it was his personal page, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, he laid out this very dicky um, situation that I was unaware you know, as a guy who lives up north, and I'm sure probably even people in the state of Texas might not even know that this is going on, and especially, uh, I've never heard it, um, heard it happen before, ever, like, I've never talked to anybody that's experienced this, um, very weird turn of events, and that's kind of what this episode's going to be focused on, but obviously, uh, I'd like to introduce the, uh, the co-star for tonight's episode, so we have Mr. Zachary Hafer, who is, uh, from Texas, like I said, and he'll obviously introduce himself, but if you guys saw his post on Facebook, you probably have a good idea what we're going to talk about, and uh, we're going to, like I said, introduce him, and then we'll get the ball rolling tonight. How's it going? Um, I'm My name is Zach Hafer uh, from Central Texas, um, and then like Adrian said, man, we're here to discuss uh, the the closure of my home lake, which is Fairfield State Park in the state of Texas. So, hell yeah, man! And so, funny enough, you and I—just um, kind of a little backstory, <clears throat> because I saw your post, and before I messaged you, I'm like, I know I talked to this guy at the Texas show. Like, you were in line. I was like, I know I sat down and talked to him for probably like two or three hours just throughout that Friday night. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to message him. I was like, could be completely wrong. You know, I was, was pretty hammered that night, and I talked to a lot of people. And so I, I hit you up, and we were talking. And then uh, yesterday before we – or uh, after we had figured out we were going to record, I just I – hit, I hit you with that question. I was like, did I talk to you? Like, I am pretty sure we talked at the show. And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, good. Like, I feel better knowing that, knowing that I was right about that. Yeah, man, we talked about the zine, and then, uh, you know, I told you that that was an untapped market that nobody had gotten into in, a, in, a, in our niche community of, of fishing, swimbait fishing, and that how I really appreciated you doing that. And, uh, you know, it kind of brought back the reading of magazines and comic books and everything from when I was a kid. And uh, I just felt like that was, like, I wanted to tell you that because that was something that nobody's ever touched in swimbait fishing, at least. And it was really cool the way you did that. And I look forward to the future zines coming out. Yeah, man. The uh, the next one, so we're recording this on Wednesday, June 7th. You guys will be hearing this uh, a week and a day from now. But we had, um, for some reason, I'm going to have to post about it tomorrow, the print shop is all screwy right now. They've kind of kept me in the dark. They haven't even shipped my stuff yet, and I was going to drop them Friday because they are supposed to be here on Tuesday. And they haven't even shipped them yet, so I was kind of... Upset about that, so I kind of have to address the masses and let everybody know, like, hey, I'm not going to drop until next week, but whatever, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I remember, who were you sitting by? Were you sitting by? Uh, I was with Lawrence. Uh, okay, we kind of switched in and out on who, was, on, on who was there at the time. We kind of moved back and forth between groups, but then we were next to... Um... You were next to uh, Stephen, right? Uh, Stephen... Uh, 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 uh... Oh, uh, why can I? Littlefield. I think you were right around by him by that pop-up tent, right? Yeah, we were right on the edge of the pop-up tent. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I remember sitting in that little, uh, those little bleacher stands behind you guys and talking to you guys. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like 110 degrees out here right now. I'm sweating my ass off. I was, 
like I said, I was super drunk and I was probably jet lagged too. And I just remember blabbing to all you guys in line and we sat there for a while. Um, yeah, we were right there with uh, Uncle Bob. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that guy was a trip. Oh, dude, so that interview, um, the microphone actually cut out, so it never recorded the audio from that interview I did with him in line. And I am oh. so, like, sad about that because that was the <laughs> – I don't – I think I've talked about him a little bit in the show, but, I mean, you, you guys essentially spent the night with him because he was there – hanging out, talking, and partying with you guys pretty much the whole night, wasn't he? Yeah, for most of the night until he finally he finally got in his truck and left, which oh I don't know how that was a good option for us. But, uh, yeah, he, he was pretty messed up. He was drinking uh, whiskey and nothing else. I mean, just taking straight shots of it, so out of the bottle. He and carried then- a shot glass in his pocket, if that tells you anything about Uncle Bob. And then going down and catching crappie off the boat sleigh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a legend. Um, you also you came over for some fish tacos out of the homeless man's van, didn't you? Didn't you stop over there? I feel like I remember uh, no, we stopped over there during the uh before he moved out to the parking lot. We were at over there talking to each other during uh Wayne and Vic's wrestling match. Oh yes, yes. Okay, that makes sense. I'm trying to like piece it all together and you know, because yeah, dude, I don't know. That whole weekend just went by so quick. Like, dude, just- that, I just tried to explain to my wife. I was like, to put it in normal human terms, I was like, we were there for three days, Lawrence and I at least. We ate four meals. We slept maybe five hours the whole time. And I was like, so you can imagine, like, you know, hardly ever used the restroom. Like, and if we did, it was out there at the a marina. I mean, it was, it, it was, had one shower the whole time. I mean, it, it was it was a trip. Yeah, dude. And, like, leaving, I mean, because we left, Marshall, uh, we, we all crawled back in the van and drove back to our little motel. At, like, it, dude, it was late, like 12 or 1. And then we get back there at 9 Saturday morning, and that line was absolutely massive, dude. There, We couldn't find parking because the line was wrapped up around, like, the spots that there were open for parking. I mean... It was just absolutely phenomenal to see all the people there. It was crazy. Yeah, I feel like we had a pretty good turnout for the first time down in Texas. I think uh, the guys are planning on doing it again next year, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, man. I Texas Texas was a lot of fun. I've only been to Texas a handful of times. I never got to actually – well, I, we fished there last time. But it was just a super cool experience. It was a new venue and just got to meet so many new people that, that, I, that I didn't and that don't make it out to Virginia. I think it was just – such a blast and such a good time. Yeah, and then I mean, if if you'd had hollered at me because Sunday we did we had talked about fishing the tournament, but the lake was going to be so high on Fort that we didn't feel comfortable putting Lawrence's Phoenix in on there. So we actually drove over to the lake we're talking about tonight and okay. fished. And Lawrence and I got up late. We slept through <laughs> with about five different alarms on both of our phones for about an hour before we finally woke up. Uh, so we got there late, but we put in, and we'll get into this story a little deeper in, into the podcast. Uh, put in on the lake, fished two spots in 20 minutes. He had a 10-2 in the boat, so that that was a pretty eventful part of the weekend. Yeah, that's badass. Uh, I remember you. I remember you guys leaving, like pulling out uh, Saturday Saturday evening, and uh, yeah, I I couldn't remember if you guys were gonna fish fork or not. But honestly, like there was. 
dude, there wasn't that many people that ended up fishing fork, but I mean, uh, my buddy's girlfriend ended up winning with that seven or eight she caught. And then Saturday morning they had gone out and fished too. And they both caught seven Saturday morning as well. I mean, they, they are some dialed folks right there. And it was super cool to see somebody that I knew personally, uh, go out there and win. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah. We, I mean, we just didn't feel comfortable. So Lawrence is used to running West Texas lakes, which are pretty open. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, submerged timber, mm-hmm. usually in deeper water. But, uh, you know, you saw Fork. I mean, Fork is, if you don't know that lake very well, it can be dangerous. So, Yeah, I remember uh, Bo, Bo and Lawrence talking. One of them was like, dude, I put more scratches on my boat in the last two hours than I have the last year and a half I've owned this thing. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I could not even imagine. Like, that's what I was worried about is people, there was going to be a bunch of people that fish the tournament and people were going to kind of try to cheap out and not buy one of those $60 late cards. And I'm like, if as long as somebody doesn't lose a lower unit, like that's a win. I mean, I don't care if there's no fish caught, as long as everybody's boat stays in one piece and their motor stays together, like that's, that's good enough for me, I would think. Yeah, and we were talking about that Saturday night. We were like, well, if, if nobody's lost a lower unit yet, like, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> like, because, like I said, I mean, if especially for the guys that are listening that have never been to Fork, it is a stumpy, stumpy bitch. And if you get caught out there in the wrong spot, you can tear your boat up very quickly. Yeah. Was that your first time being out there fishing Fork? Uh, so I've fished Fork before the, so friends, we stayed at a friend of mine's house. They live about 10 minutes from the marina back in Alba on the lake. Uh, Jarrett was kind enough to basically let us, uh, stay at their lake house for uh, a couple of big bottles of whiskey. Uh, but we stayed there for the weekend and I had fished with him out there before. He's one of the first property owners out there that put lights underneath the dock. So I've had some good experiences out there and then, you know, just hanging out on the docks and fishing the lights at night is a blast. Yeah, dude, that sounds like a lot of fun. That, that would be a lot, a lot of fun. I've seen videos, man. And it's just, it's so crazy to watch. Yeah. I I tried to figure out how to turn them on while we were there so I could show Lawrence, but we couldn't get them to come on. So, uh, because man, if you, if those lights get fired up and you watch the, you know, the shad come in and ball up and then you'll watch, especially at fork, you'll watch the white bass come in. And then about an hour and a half after that, you'll just start seeing these big dark shadows run over the tarp, the top of the lights. And that's usually when you want to start bass fishing, when you start getting those shadows in there, because that's the big girls coming up underneath all of that bait to get, get their feet on. And it's, it's pretty insane. Damn, dude, that sounds like a blast, but Let's let's kick it back a little bit. How did you uh, how did you get into fishing? When did this start for you? Prior to all the swim baits and all the uh, crazy dock light fishing we're talking about. So actually, friends of those friends, man. So my dad didn't fish when I was a kid growing up. My dad liked to hunt, and I like to hunt, but I don't know. I picked up. He got me a fishing rod back when I was four or five, and picked up and started fishing. And he didn't like I said he didn't really like to fish, so he would take me just because we could get outdoors, but I really just had a passion for it from the get go. But I didn't really have anybody to teach me, at least in my family. So I had extended family, man. I had a buddy down the street. Uh, his name's Matt Chilton and he actually swim bait fish for a while. Uh, and I'll get, we'll get into that deeper too. So, uh, Matt and I, and then Matt's uncle was a really good family friend of mine, uh, Billy. 
And so Billy would take me fishing and then my dad would set me up like for birthday presents with guides or he had some guys at his work that were really into bass fishing. And so they would take me to private lakes and stuff like that for my birthdays and everything else. And I just kept with it. And so as I, as we started progressing in fishing, Matt and I, you know, fished all the time together. And we kind of got into this deal where we wanted to go out and catch the biggest fish in our lakes. And uh, so we started dabbling into bigger soft plastics and bigger you know bigger and bigger and we were throwing mag flukes and 12 inch worms and trying to catch the biggest bass in the lakes and we got to the point where matt started making our own flukes that were even bigger than mag flukes and we just kept catching bigger and bigger fish and one day we were looking around on the internet this is probably back in i guess 2012 or so and we stumbled upon swim baits and uh i've never really looked back your favorite swimbait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blades. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. Um, I had a guy on last night and he kind of had the same story. He got into it like that 2006, 2007 time period and just hearing him talk about it, like before it got as popular as it is now, I was just in such, such like, it was like nostalgic. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, that's how I wish it was when I got into it. Like it was just, it sounded like such a magical time. So you 2012, that was probably right around the time like Buka was starting to get big and maybe even Caesar and stuff. Um, Buka was pretty large at the time. Of course, Buka has been in the game for a long time. <clears throat> Caesar had started making a following around that time as well. And there were a lot of guys in the game. I mean, Andrew was way more in the groups and everything at that time. You could actually, I mean, it was still like a year wait, but at least at that time he would actually contact people. I mean, uh, and then, you know, I, I mean, that was a crazy time, man. I, you were willing to wait. You know, guys were willing to give people their money and wait for years to get baits because they were that unheard of to get. I mean, you, you look like a, like a Hinkle. I, I think I paid Andrew. I had five Hinkle shads at one time, and I never paid more than 150 for any of them. And just order them from Andrew, and if it took eight months, it took eight months, and you just waited on them to get there. And I don't, I don't know that there was any really ever post about about makers not getting you baits or anything else. It seems like as it's progressed that everybody wants everything now. It's almost everyone has that Walmart mentality where we want to go in and buy it and take it home immediately, and yeah. not realizing, especially coming into the game fairly early. I guess I mean that's still kind of as far as swim baits go in a history. It's still really late, but before this new craze, you know you guys made 20 baits at a time they worked full-time jobs you know you were getting stuff that was handmade in a garage that these guys put their their blood sweat and tears in their passion just like it was your passion to fish them and so you kind of had i think there was a little bit more respect for the makers back then uh you know you were willing to wait it it wasn't a big deal to to sit and and wait to get a bait for a year yeah, I think uh, you, you you hit it right on the head. Like Amazon, and I've talked about it before, Amazon just 
screwed up everything, dude. Everybody expects, like, if you place that order, it's going to be at your house the next day, if not two or three days after. Like, I bought it, I want it now type thing. And Yeah, completely. That I mean, the Amazon is a good example of doing that. I mean, that's – it's and they it's just people don't understand the craft. I don't think they understand the craft that goes into these baits. You know, I've been around the game – long enough where I've made friends with several bait makers, you know, Mike, uh, Carp, uh, Caesar. I mean, I'd talk to uh, Matt, Servant, and, you know, a bunch of these guys. And, I mean, that what they do is a craft. I mean, there's craftsmanship that they put into these baits. That's Their, their lifeblood runs through this, and you kind of have to respect that. I mean, I, could I do it? I don't think I have the, the patience to be able to handle making a bait. But do I love the fish them? Absolutely. Yeah, and on top of having the patience to make a bait, having the patience to deal with, I mean, in a retail setting, the the person who's working retail usually doesn't always enjoy the customer. I mean, customer. I mean, to have patience to deal with guys who, like, oh my gosh, dude, I I, I bought that bait, uh, you know, a week ago. What? Why is it not here yet? And it's like, oh well, said it was a pre order. I I had to make sure that my clear coat was good and wasn't going to be tacky, you know, just whatever it is. And people like, like we said, are just in that mentality of, I bought it. Like I want it now. And you know, 95% of builders are going to, are going to do that. They, if you buy a bait, they have that bait ready to go shipped out to you in two or three days. You know, if it's a drop on a Friday, they probably won't ship it till Monday or whatever it may be. And just that, that 5% kind of ruins it for everybody. The, those guys are the ones who, who give pre-orders a bad name and, you know, whatever else it may be, who who really drop the ball on communicating. And it just makes kind of the masses, I think, just have a grudge towards builders almost as a whole. They're like, oh, well, he did it like that. So how do I know this guy's not going to do that to him? And it's just like, it's just not how it works, man. There's 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 people who, who are good at it and then there's people who – definitely uh run it like it's a part-time gig we'll just we'll just kind of say it like that i guess yeah i totally agree with that and i mean even then there's the guys who've gotten into it now where you know everybody you know i've seen the memes you make about new shad glides it seems like a new one pops up every week and you know when you when you're catching fish on a bait like that i mean i've had makers that i've got with and backed and really fish their baits and then we kind of get crossways over things, you know, they send me something to test. I send them back, Hey, this, this, and this is wrong with it. And then they message me back the next day and they're like, I've got 20 of them lined up. I'm fixing to post them up to sell. And I'm like that, that to me, as a, as a fisherman, as somebody who, you know, I've learned enough about tuning my baits, personal baits that, that when you're not doing, you know, these guys aren't doing the R and D that, that some of these guys, I mean, you look at Matt and Mike, Matt, from Matt Servant and Mike Buka and the years and the time that they put into to perfecting this stuff, man, it, it, you, you can't just throw something out on the market and R and D it for two weeks and think it's good to go. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's interesting. And we're kind of in that weird point in history where people don't take constructive criticism. Well, they take it all personal. I mean, there's a couple of guys who who message me on a pretty regular basis. They're like, hey, like, uh, you know, you talked about this a little too much, you know, whatever it may be. And, and they, they're like, hey, like, maybe maybe talk about this instead or, you know, whatever. And they're giving me constructive criticism. And, dude, 
I I love that because it's like okay, well, I'm glad you guys feel comfortable telling me that. Like I, I'm I I never get angry when somebody says something like that because it's like okay, well, I don't I don't know I don't know what you guys like. Like no, 99% of the people listen to it and message me say hey that's a good episode. But if you guys you know, just say, oh, you know, whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, well, I'll do it a little bit different next time. And, you know, if I don't hear anything back, then it must be fine. So it's just, it's kind of how I run. But I, I, I've i heard of builders who, who don't take that criticism well, where they're like, oh, you know, it, it kind of, it rolls over on itself. You fish it any faster than a moderate real speed. And they're like, oh, well, that's not how you're supposed to fish it. And it's like, okay, well, maybe make that like known, like post about it, say, Hey, this is how you fish it or whatever it may be. And they're just kind of content with, with selling baits and, and taking that backlash, I guess. Well, and that's, that was one of the, this is one of the things I kind of like to talk about is the difference between the Japanese anglers and the American anglers. Japanese anglers will pull a bait out of a package and throw it on their line and test swim it. And they'll figure out what it does that they like and what it does that they don't like. Mm-hmm. And then they take the bait apart and they tinker with it. And, and, and tune it to what to do what they want to do they have a specific goal for each bait and so that's why i learned you know learn to tune glides you know pull the pin i can pull the you know the top pin out half a turn the bottom end pin half in half a turn it changes the complete glide of the bait like the adding weight i mean i even got with mike and got the schematics on a nine inch bullshad i'm not sure if i'm supposed to say this but you know he showed me where i needed to so nine inch bullshads all come in the same weight well, I fish really grassy lakes, and during the winter time, I like to keep that thing. I like to count it down and let it sit on top of the grass and move it really slow, like people would drag a soft bait. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can do that is to lighten the weight because otherwise, I'm going to get hooked up on something. Yeah. And so, get with Mike. Mike sends me the schematics of where the lead's at. I take a drill bit, drill all the lead out, epoxy it back closed. Boom, the bait does exactly what I want it to do. And I've stuck, in fact, my personal best, a 1031 came on a nine inch bullshad with the weight drilled out of it, dragging it over slow over the top of grass. Dude, that is, that's so awesome to hear that it was on a bait you modded to do specifically what you wanted. And dude, you hit it right on the head. Guys buy a bait and when they buy it, <laughs> you know, how many times do you see it? And I think uh, Jur made a post about it where it's like, okay, you bought this bait and it didn't do what you wanted it to do. Like, what did you think it was going to do? Like, I did that, that post made me laugh so hard. And I mean, that's just how it is. Like, if, if I spend, you know, X amount of dollars on something and it doesn't do quite what I want it to, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to use the search bar. I'm going to type in, you know, whatever it may be, lead taken out or how to, I mean, the other day I was using it. Somebody had asked me how to make a, uh, make a mag draft into a freestyle. Like, oh, you got to cut the harness out. You just got to mend it back together. They're like, oh, how do you do that? And I was typed in on the search bar, screenshot it, and send it to them. They're like, oh, okay. Like, modding your stuff is so much fun, man. Like, do you remember a couple years ago when the weird fab was to make a post and ask why the builder has this metal pin sticking out of the joint of your bait? And it's like, so you can tune it. So you can tear it apart. And you can, like you said, you can mess around with the eye, eye screws. You can pull it out of, you know, uh, half a turn or a full turn and do that with the bottom one and make it a super slow wide head hunting glide or make it a super reactive chop glide like it's people people buy it and they're done they buy it and then they fish it how it is they don't it's well, almost like everybody's scared to to kind of mess with it and alter it a little bit for for their um style i guess that's my whole deal like with glide baits 
the way you may like to fish a glide, Adrian, may be completely different than the way I like to fish a glide. And if you make baits and you make baits and tune them to the way you like to fish a glide and I get one of your baits and, and I'm able to tune it, I'm going to take it apart and tune it to the way I want to fish it because I have a specific goal or, or a specific way my fish like to look at a bait or what sets them off more than, than other baits, you know? And I'm, I want to be able to do that. I, a tuna, when guys started leaving the pin out of the tops of glides, and some of us that fish down here, at least in Texas, some of the guys I know, we're asking makers to do that prior to it becoming a common practice. Like, yeah. hey, man, when you build my bait, will you make sure that you don't epoxy over the pinhole? I'd like to be able to remove the pin and do this and that. And most of the makers at that time were like, yeah, sure, I don't care. Yeah, save me some time and time for epoxy and everything. And yeah, man, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you, you like you said, you've been around for a while. I haven't been around for nearly as long, but I've been around long enough to see that that thing where guys are guys are scared to tinker with their stuff, but but yet they they won't um, add take out weight or you know tinker with a glide bait, but they've got no problem with gluing in. Uh, a lip and a tail onto a TK because that's the only way they fish it. And it's like, dude, that's the same exact thing. You're making that thing do something. You're making that bait do something a little bit different, but you're making it permanent. Like if if you take apart a glide bait, you can put it back to how you want it. You can crank it back in that half turn and add, you know, uh, a, a third of an ounce of lead that you took out. So it's just, it's super interesting, man. And like you got guys like Alec who, who will literally just, make that bait completely different than what it is, you know, and he, uh, he was notorious for doing that with those mini, mini slammers, you know, he'd take the tail out, put that treble hook in there, he'd make it that, uh, that like sheen bucktail, uh, flashy hair tail, and just like do all sorts of stuff to baits, obviously the assist hooks and everything, and it's, it's super cool to see that, like see people alter these baits for, for what they want to do with it and how they can catch fish with them. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I've seen guys do things, do things to baits and, and post or talk about it. And then, and then you, you have that epiphany, that light bulb moment, you know, where you go, why the hell didn't I think of that? Like, and then you go out, I go out in my garage and I pull out everything and I start drilling or doing whatever I need to do to tinker, to get that bait, to do what they've got that bait doing, because it fits in a window of a type of bite that I have. I mean, it amazes me, you know, it's just the, like you said, the Amazon mentality where if it, I want it to come and it, it needs to be the way I like it, the way it comes, well, that's f good and well if it's a, you know, a mass manufactured bait. But most of these are guys in their garages who, and, you know, bless the ones who have quit their, their full-time jobs and make baits full-time. I mean, that's, I'm sure that's a grind. Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I wouldn't have the patience to do it. And then with it cutting into fishing time, like fishing is the only thing that keeps me sane. So, <clears throat> I mean, there's, I, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, man, it, uh, I, I'm, I'm also friends with some builders and just hearing them talk about, yeah, just, just had a 16 hour day in the, in the garage, you know, sanding baits or installing hardware, <laughs> just painting or whatever. And I'm just like, Oh, like you know, that's, that's crazy. I come home from my, my nine hour day at work and I come home and work on the magazine or record a podcast and stuff. And I'm done. Like I've, I've done, I've done my little side gig and I've done my nine to five. These guys are doing their side side gig for, for double the amount of time that I do every day or uh, my full work day. It's just like props to you guys, man. If, 
if you can make it making baits, then you guys are killing it. I'll just I, that's all you can say because that's just the facts. All right. Well, it's, you ready to get into yes, the yes. reason why we're here? Yeah, but real quick, so 2012, you got into it. I got into the swim baits just to touch back on this a little bit. Do you remember what your first bait was that you had bought? Was it a, like an ABS bait or was it a garage bait? Uh, actually, the I think the first bait I ever bought was uh, S-Waver 200 um, and was fishing it on like a Savage Gear, whatever, Type A, I think is what it was at the time, rod. I mean, like a broomstick. Uh, and, you know, Matt and I got into it pretty hard and heavy uh, and started having multiple rods. And then shortly thereafter, Oliver was kind of making his tour around Texas. Uh, so we went and got on a guided trip with him uh, to try to learn swim baits a lot better and picked up a ton of information. Uh, you know, I'm I'm like a sponge. I retain a lot of information. And anytime you can get out with a, another person who has a passion for swim bait fishing, you know, you can learn a ton. And so we did that. And then if you want to go into deeper, my deeper swim bait history. Um, so Matt's cousin is Brad Vanderpool from F5 Custom Rods. Okay. And so we actually kind of drugged Brad into swim bait fishing with us. And in my possession, and I still fish it on a daily basis, is the first ever F5 Custom Rod swim bait rod ever built. Oh, no shit. Yeah, so so I had Lisa, Brad's uh, fiance, wanted me to bring it out, so I brought it over to Brad's house while we were at Lake Fort, and the look on his face, he was like, that thing's awful, like, throw it in the trash, and I'm like, dude, this is like a part of swim bait history, like, you, this this can't be thrown away. He was like, hang it on the wall, I don't care, quit fishing it, and I mean, I still, I mean, my 10, my 1031 came on that rod, uh i mean i just put off off the lake we're here to discuss i mean i just put a six four and a five five in the boat on that rod two weeks ago so it still fishes the same i mean still got some life in her yes she does she's been through hell that that is like a super awesome story and you know if anything ever happens to that rod whether you just retire it or not it would be super badass to make like a shadow box that rod like get you know see if uh <clears throat> see if brad has any pictures of it and obviously like your pictures of your fish and stuff and that'd be that'd be a super cool piece like if you ever got like a storefront shop or anything or even just for your your living room i think that'd be super cool oh yeah definitely it's it i've definitely got plans for it uh i've got to get with him to get a new custom rod built and kind of put that on the back burner as i chunked one of my rods into the lake this past week so I had to order a new new ghost code from him to get that to get my my soft bait rod covered again. So, damn that that's wicked. But yeah, so what did you say the name of the lake was? Just so I can write it down and remember when I refer it's to uh, Fairfield Lake and in Fairfield State Park. Okay, so have you always lived around this Fairfield Lake? I live about an hour and 15 minutes away. And I guess what was your first experience at this lake? Had you been eyeing it up and then you moved close to it or before you moved, had you been eyeing it up at all or kind of what, what did it set up for? What did it set up like for you when you first saw it? So 
we'll go into the history to start with because this will kind of give you a backstory on Fairfield Lake. So Perfect. Fairfield Lake was a power was a had a coal fired power plant on it, and up until 2018, it was a hot water lake. Um, I fished it in Boy Scouts when I was a kid, and we didn't do very well because it was a hot water lake, and we were there during the summer. Uh, you know, the bite the when the water's 90 to 100 degrees, it the the fish just really slow down. Uh, or they're really deep offshore. Mm-hmm. And also at that time, there were redfish and tilapia in the lake, uh, which caused the the bass fishing not to be as great due to the fact that the, the redfish got larger and they were a predominant prey, prey species in the body of water. So um, when President Obama was in office back in 2008, he started shutting down a bunch of the coal-fired power plants. Fairfield got the axe, and they shut down the, I believe they officially shut down in 2018 was when they finally got it all closed down, and it became a regular water lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, within that first year, we had a very large freeze, um, which killed all the redfish and all the tilapia in the lake. And at that time, there were some other things going on in the background. TPWD had leased a, a Big Brown Mine, which is another lake that's about 20 acres or so that sits almost directly behind Fairfield. And it had become that part of their Sherlunker program. This is what TPWD called Lake X. Uh, the only person I've ever known to fish it, I think, is uh, uh, Grant Langmore. When he, after he set the Ladybird Lake record, they invited him and his dad over there to fish it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it, it, that lake held monsters. I mean, that's what they used it for. It was basically a breeding facility for, uh, you know, genetically modified fish is basically what this, what, I mean, are gen- genetically superbred fish or whatever. They were breeding Sherlunker's genes to Sherlunker genes and trying to make the biggest fish they possibly could. Uh, when the lease was up on that piece of property, because it's only about a mile or so from Fairfield, and this was around the 2018 time, I think, as well, um, they electrofished that, and the majority of the fish that they got out of that lake were dumped into Fairfield. So basically, you, you lost two, you lost a prey species, you know, a, a predominant prey species in there that kept the bass from getting large. And then they also lost a food source, but the shad population and the bluegill populations basically exploded when it became a cold water lake. And um, then you dumped, you know, these genetic, these genetic freak, or at least genetic freaks, they had the genes in them to make that lake explode. So up until, up until that time around 2018, 2019, it really wasn't on my radar. Uh, I fished a bunch of, closer water to me and just never really made the trip over there. Um, I had a buddy that fished out of a kayak. They held a couple of kayak tournaments over there and he knew I predominantly fished big swim baits at the time. And he just called me up one night and was like, Hey man, you need to go visit this place. And it probably took me another year before I made the journey over there. And from then I think I've probably fished that place every weekend for about the past year and a half, two years. Damn, dude, I was just looking up some pictures and the way you were describing it, that was not what I was expecting to see is like the big grasslands. And I was and then you said it was in a uh, in a park and I I did not think it was going to be that big. I just looked up 
some pictures and I was very blown away with, with how it looked like it set up with all those creek arms and everything. It looks like but, a so so I fish out of a kayak and so I prefer skinnier waters, but Fairfield at twenty two hundred acres is is manageable for me in a kayak. So hell yeah, dude. And I was just reading uh <clears throat> so the lake next to it was the one that they were doing like the uh the kind of had the share longer program. So it's basically it's and it's tiny. It's behind it. It's kind of an L shaped if you're looking at it on a map. So if you look at that and you and you're looking at this little, it looks like a stock tank, but you're looking Mm -hmm. at it and then all of a sudden you notice it has a a concrete boat ramp and a covered pavilion. It's what basically what TPWD they called it Lake X at the time. Damn. And is that that's probably um, a little bit different than like the. Uh, well, this is like common knowledge, I guess. I don't need to feel bad for talking about it. But like Lake Athens, that's where the Sherlunker tanks and stuff actually are. This was a little bit different. This is where those fish were kind of just free roaming and just doing their own thing in that lake. Whereas those fish at Lake Athens at their uh, programmed area is more of like uh, you're watching these fish in tanks and stuff like that, collecting the collecting the spawn and making sure there's successful spawning periods and stuff, I assume. Correct. At the Lunker Bunker is where they breed those fish. Um so any fish in the state of Texas that's caught that's over 13 pounds between January 1st and March 31st goes to the Lunker Bunker and then is bred. Um, Texas has gotten a little bit better with their genetics. They were um, allowing any fish to breed in that facility for the longest time. Uh, over the past few years, they've changed that setting. So we were having northern Florida crosses bred. And eventually, once you breed that Florida out of those bass, the size range goes down dramatically. And so that's kind of what you saw uh, with what happened at Lake Fork. You know, as you heard most of the guides and stuff while we were there talking about how Lake Fork has got a lot of eight, nine pound fish in it, but nothing, nothing like the double digits it used to carry on a regular basis. Um, But yeah, that's in Athens, which is not very, not very far from Fairfield, but the way they set up Lake X was to, kind of do a program where they just let those fish spawn, breed, and everything on their own. Uh, They did dump bait in there, at least from what I've been told, twice a year. Uh, Large populations of shad and then large populations of freshwater prawns uh, to try to fatten those fish up. And basically, it was kind of like a, I guess they kind of looked at it like a science project. They wrote about it one time on their website, and then because supposedly there was a lot of people that looked up where, or tried to figure out where it was and looked up their leasing contracts and everything else, they had a bunch of people breaking into it, supposedly. So, I mean, it it has a high game fence around it, and there was, you know, Luminate, our Vistra Corp, the people who own, who own the power plant had, you know, guards on duty all the time that drove around there, so they made sure to check up on that place on a regular basis while TPWD was doing their science project in it. Dude, this was like area 51 of, of growing big bass in Texas is what it sounds like. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it, it didn't have the, the same feel as, as the Lunker Bunker does where they're specifically breeding those fish. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was just a project to see how big of a bass they could get to grow, I think, in a normal setting. Did they ever release, did they, because I assume when they moved them, they probably 
you know, netted them or however they did it. Did, did they ever come out and say what the biggest fish that they ended up pl- planting in Fairfield was or no? Was that kind of shush? No, they never, they never really talked about moving. I just know that their lease was up and I, I assume I've, I've talked to some of the local guys there and they said that TPWD dumped a bunch of full grown fish in there uh, about the same time as that lease ended on that piece of property. So I, I would assume that that's where all those fish came from. I wouldn't think that TPWD would just leave them there. Right. Dude, this is like a very, very deep, intricate rabbit hole of lease leases running up, not getting renewed, and just, you know, next person up. You know, they ran out, the lease ran out on that little, that little test pond, so they just dumped them in the next lake over. And, I mean, that is very interesting because you never – well, okay – you never hear about that stuff happening, and obviously, this is what we're here to talk about. So after, after that little, uh, you know, tank, tank, pond tank, or whatever you want to call it, that lease was up. Did they end up removing the fence and everything, or did somebody, did the state kind of seize it? No, no, no. So, so that's all owned by the power company that owned oh, the oh, okay. as well as the lake and the property that that the park sits on. And. And that'll be deeper once we get into deeper into Fairfield. So the difference between Lake X and Fairfield was is Lake X was not open to the public. Yeah, right. So you couldn't you couldn't go in there and fish it. They allowed fishing on it, I believe, once or twice a year, and you had to be invited. It was either donors for Texas Parks and Wildlife, or like in Grant's case, somebody who had set a lake record recently uh, in largemouth fishing. Uh, especially the way Grant did that on a swim bait on Lady Bird, you know, kind of changed the game and the way uh, anglers, at least down here in Texas, looked at fishing a swim bait, I guess you could say, or at least a big swim bait. Right. And you had might have said it, I might not have caught it. What year did their lease run up and did they uh, supposedly dump all these fish back in? So it would have been around the same time as the power plant closing down. Uh because basically that's on the back side of the property where where the power plant set so around 2018 or so i believe so i know they leased it from 2009 up to about 2018 damn okay so they dump all these fish in fairfield did had had anybody well obviously the fishing got probably historically better when that water stopped being you know 110 degrees and was it kicking out big fish? Was it kind of doing, you know, what we see, what we see like OHIV doing? Like guys were going out there and catching nine, eight, nine, ten pounders, and it was kind of that hush hush local thing until somebody blew it up. Or was the fishing like just all right, and it was just good enough that people talked about it, but it didn't blow up? So I, I mean, I don't know exactly. Fairfield probably could have blown up and there was a lot more people coming over and fishing it here as of late, but a lot of that had to do with, you know, the, the state posting about them closing it. So if you look at the Sherlunker website, if you ever come to Texas and you want to get a good start and you actually use your computer and or your phone and you realize you have the world at your fingertips, you can get on TPWD's Sherlunker site. And you scroll down and they list out like the top six or seven bass producing lakes in the state currently. So this is all for fish that are registered over eight pounds. And if you look at those lakes on there, usually you're going to have the usual suspects. You got OHIV, uh, Fork, Choke Canyon, Toledo Bend. And then you get down there to the bottom and you see this Fairfield Lake. (laughs) 
And you'll start looking at the eight pound plus fish because the majority of the fish in there are around the eight to 10 pound range at this time. And there's almost twice as many as most of those other lakes. And uh, this lake is also 2,200 acres as where the rest of those are, except, I, with the exception of Ivy, there are 100,000 acres or more. Damn. <clears throat> so, I mean, it, it was spitting out several eight pounders and several double digits a year it wasn't up until this last year that it started spitting out bigger fish and we'll we'll get into that further in too as well uh there was some there would have been a lake in fact millican so if you watch any of millican's videos uh he actually caught the lake record out of that lake and never registered it uh 1441 back in january or february of this year wow that uh that's interesting i i remember i think i remember vividly seeing that thumbnail like i caught the lake record was that on the jerk bait was that when he caught that big fish on a jerk bait i can't remember what he caught that 1441 on so he was off of well he was out actually further out in the middle of the channel in the middle of the channel i mean he was almost in the middle of the lake basically he said when uh he got on those fish he was he'd had a rough day he was headed back in and had the the motor down and he was just side scanning and he just happened to catch that school out in over open water and got on them and i think in like a 30 45 minute period he busted like two eights and nine uh 10 or a 12 and then that 14. oh my god damn dude and up to that point so <clears throat> i just looked up a news article for uh fairfield and they had even in February of this year, they were talking prematurely of like, oh, the state needs to figure out what to do with this before we lose a, 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 a state park. And it was like, unfortunately, it was right around the time that uh, Florida's state park's 100-year anniversary was. And so, yeah, like, it's Texas State Park, it still is. It's This year is the centennial year for Texas state parks. And not only that, but Fairfield out of the state parks was voted the best in the state last year uh somewhere around eighty thousand visitors visit that park on a yearly basis dude that is absolutely ridiculous and so i mean they knew that <clears throat> okay well before we get ahead of ourselves so was that was the biggest fish did you hear about like other guys going after that before it was closed like guys chasing chasing that bite that Milliken was on or like oh i know what like that is and go fish it like did you see an upswing in boat traffic at all while you were out there or was it still kind of oh no the, the boat traffic got insane especially back in uh so back in february uh the end of february they it was the i believe it was the end of february the first time they closed it and man it got insane out there and a lot of guys didn't know where Milliken was fishing. A lot of those guys that came out there, you know, you're just trying to guess where he was at on the lake. I think here as of recently, him and Austin Neary, uh, you know, Austin has the the fishing guide or service or whatever where you can sell your spots. And I know after him and Austin went out there in one of their videos, he sold or was selling those spots on there. But I never really saw guys specifically running those spots. And I know what spots they are. I mean. For me, out of a kayak, you know, uh, man, Milliken's a hammer, and and he's really, really fantastic at offshore. And for me to hold offshore in a kayak is kind of difficult, especially 
no trolling motor or anything. I run a pedal drive. So I knew those spots. It's just, it was harder for me to run them when I got a chance, you know, when the wind was calm or something like that and I was able to run them, I ran them and I caught some good fish off of them. But I mean, just coming in and, and looking. So that lake is completely surrounded by tulies. And there's only like two or three areas that are really specific that if you get on camera, guys know where you are. The rest of the bank all looks the same if you're looking at it, especially in a video. So, I mean, uh, Ben did a really good job, uh, I will say, when he did his videos out there of trying to keep the landmarks out of the background. There was a few times where he got like the boat boat ramps and those boat ramps are really specific. But otherwise, he did a really good job at trying to keep his spots down i mean i ran in i've run into him a few times on the boat ramp out there and you know he talked to me about fishing big swim baits and everything and you know he would tell me spots to run if i was able to get to them and you know that's how i learned some of the places you know he would tell me hey this spot offshore you need to go if you can get out there and hold like there's bigs running around out there right now and so <clears throat> but he did, as I said, he did for the most part a very, very good job of trying to keep, uh, he never really stated the lake's name or he never stated the lake's name. And then he always tried to keep most of the landmarks out of the background on where guys would know exactly where he was fishing. And we, even me being out there and fishing it for two years or whatever, I mean, we, a lot of, we ran a lot of the same spots anyways. I mean, there's guys, you learn the local guys and the local guys learn you when you're there all the time. And we all, you know, there, there was guys that we all kind of shared spots. There were spots that we all knew that these fish, specifically these big fish, would hold on. And, you know, we ran those areas. Now, as it got further along, I think uh, there was a lot of guys that were coming in there that hadn't been there for a while. And, you know, I had specific spots where I would fish and I could, I'd fish there for two years and, never really seen anybody else run these spots and then i'd pull into a spot and five seconds you know five seconds after i lead that spot another boat would run in behind me and then another boat behind them and then another boat behind them and then i finally got to talking on to guys on the boat ramps and basically there was uh there's me so i fish out of a blue sky angler 360 which are very specific kayaks they're catamaran by hold with a deck in the middle uh, and there's two other guys um Derek Miller and Jim Lowry who fish out of the same kayaks and all three of us know that lake extremely well and all three of us do really good out there and basically there was a talk around the boat ramps like I finally talked to some guys and they basically told me hey man you know they're following y'all around because they know you know where the big fish are which was yeah. kind of funny I mean even even this, th so I fished it Saturday before it closed. I guess it closed on Sunday night. So I fished it that Saturday before, and I was out there. I went and fished. I mean, you can see in the video, one of the videos I just posted on, on the universe or in, in on my Instagram, uh, where it's uh, there's a concrete ledge. So that's the old discharge channel, and it it's an amazing spot. Uh, and I would usually never post videos up of that spot, but being that I knew the lake was closing, <clears throat> I kind of went ahead and posted that video because I wasn't really worried about it. Uh, and one person went in and chased my bite after that, and they told me about it. They caught like a five-pounder up in there. But uh, I was coming out of that spot, and I had a guy in a kayak stop me, and he was like, are you the 
the older man or the the guy who fishes big swim baits? And I was like, I started laughing. I was like, you mean Jim? Or you mean, I mean, you mean Derek or Zach? And he was like, well, which one are? And I, he looked at my boat and he was like, oh, you're the guy who fishes the big swim baits. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I was talking to one of the boaters at the boat ramp. And they said, if, if I could catch you guys in these kayaks, that you might be willing to give me some spots. And I was like, yeah, I'll tell you a few places where you can catch some fish, man. Like he was like, this is my first time fishing this. And I've been out here for like two days and I'm just trying to catch a big bass. And I mean, I knew the lake was closing in a few days. And I was like, sure, here, here's some spots. Go fish this uh, and see what you can catch. Damn, dude, that's crazy. And was there a heavy swim bite? Uh, was there a heavy like swim bait presence out there? Was it common to see these guys in yaks or uh, some of the locals out there fishing big swim baits? Or was that kind of an untapped technique out there? Um, so I believe, I mean, there may have been other guys who fished it with a big swim bait, but myself and Ben were probably the main two who were out there on a regular basis throwing big swim baits. Damn. So these fish were just totally uh not pressured as far as like you know seeing a 250 or whatever it may be seeing a bullshad get ripped across past them they they saw it and they they were fooled they weren't they weren't used yeah. to seeing anything like that i've never been to a lake adrian where i could go out and catch 21 fish in a day on a glide bait damn and and and, what it was and, like? and average weight being or at least like the smallest weight being three and a half four pounds I mean, I had, I had days out there where I would, where I caught, there was a a week where I took off like three or four days and fished in a row last year where every day I had probably 14 fish or better all in the, all, I mean, four to three to four pound range. And then, you know, with some sixes, sevens, eights mixed in. Wow. I mean, I had a, I, in fact, Vic has, has a lot of the footage from, from that time last year because I had a specific paperweight that was in a gold color. There's a good carp population out there. And at that time, the carp were spawning. They were all on the surface. And I mean, I just hammered them. I probably sent Vic like four hours worth of cast to catch video of three or four days in a row where I was, it was just cast after cast after cast, just hammering fish. Yeah, I do. I, okay. So now I remember talking to you about that. We had, we had talked about that because you knew you knew that I really liked that six inch uh, paperweight, and we were we we had talked about it was the paperweight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the eight, eight inch paperweight, man. I like way laid on, and then that bait now sits at the bottom of that lake. Damn it, dude! <laughs> oh man, this is just this is just one unfortunate story after another. Oh man, it. It's all good, man. Losing baits is part of the deal, especially uh, when you know when you're out having days like that, and you know retying after every two fish gets really old really fast, and yeah. you start running low on line on your reels and everything else, and you're like, ah, I think I can you know cut corners here, and then boom, you cast, and there goes your bait flying across the lake. Yeah, man, not fun. Um, so. We kind of talked about the fishing this lake had to offer. What did it set up like? Was it super deep? Was it, um, I assume that the the little cement channel you were talking about was probably pretty blown out. Like that was probably one of the, if, if based on what, like what we have here, 
you know, if there's a water outlet, like a hot water discharge, that's like, that's the deepest spot around here. Cause it just dredges all that, you know, that bottom sediment out. What did, what did it set up? Like, was it deep? Was there a lot of vegetation and grass? Like, so, uh, I mean, it's a central East Texas lake. So most of those are grass lakes. The difference okay. between Fairfield and most of our grass lakes is Fairfield, uh, would get to points during during the year where it would be hyper clear, like extremely clear. And as you know, with throwing a big swim bait, those fish are predominantly visual feeders. And when you're able to draw them from long distances off their cover and everything else, at least get a look at where they came from and then go back and set up at a different time, different angle and run that bait to the point where they came from, not the point where they ended up on that bait, you have a lot better chance of catching them. And it was just, it, it probably at its deepest, it's around 50 feet, 40 feet or so. Uh, but it set up, man, deep grass flats, uh, you know, hydrilla growing out in 15 foot of water with, with eight foot of water over the top of it. Uh, I mean, just so I, I fish more East Texas lakes than I do anything. And I'm a fiend for grass, um, throwing a glide bait over the top of shallow grass throwing a glide bait over deep grass throw, and then and then crank downs where you could get my one of my f absolute favorite things to do is to take a crank down and and target the right depth of where I was fishing and get a crank down that just got right into the top of that grass and I could you know tick through the grass tops and just get hammered and the this lake just set up perfect for that and then if you wanted to fish you know harder structure you had the the inlet channels or the outlet channels which up until February were off limits. Uh, you, the, they actually had them buoy markered off. If you got caught in there, it was a $500 fine. Yeah. So, uh, yo, those were places where I specifically knew big fish held and I'd make a run into that, like into that discharge channel. I'd make a run over the buoy markers, make 10 casts and turn around and run out. And, you know, it was, wasn't wasn't very far to the buoy markers from where that discharge channel's at, but <clears throat> so those areas were a lot better when they didn't have them open. Now up here for the past what is that four months, it's been open to the public all back in there. And there was guys that ran all the way up the discharge channel. There's another hole like a holding pond where the hot water actually came out of the power plant. Okay, uh, further up in there, and it runs pretty shallow. I've, I made a run up it last week or so just to see because I'd never fished that area and I knew the lake was closing and I figured I'd be mad at myself if I didn't go up there and fish it if the lake closed and I never got a chance to fish that area so I made the run up it because it's about a mile paddle up the channel before you get to the the holding area damn dude so dude I, I'm just still so intrigued by this whole story and especially by how it sets up because it sounds like it sets up like a lot of the lakes here too and i mean well and then the other beautiful thing is it is it's is the gill population exploded out there when it became a cold water lake mm -hmm. uh the gill population it's a tro so it's known as a trophy gill lake in the state of texas and there are some massive massive bluegill uh green sunfish big big red ears in there I mean, guys would come, there was, in fact, the last week when I was there, because I was there four days out of the last week, uh, there were guys from Shreveport, Louisiana, coming over here because they knew the lake was going to close and they were trying to stock up on these big bluegills, uh, you know, boats full. There was like six or eight guys in four different boats 
just riding around trying to catch bluegill. And then uh, the, the gizzard shad population, the threadfin population is outrageous out there. Like uh, there was days where it would get calm in, in the early spring and there wouldn't be any wind and you could see schools of threadfin across the entire lake. And then there was a, a good gizzard population. And then the other deal on the main lake is you had a lot of hard points. So it was a big enough lake where it set up where you had those hard bo- clay bottom shell bed points where those shad would get up and spawn. And so that's the bite that Milliken predominantly chased. If you got out on those spots, man, you know, deep water gliding, uh, pulling fish up from 15 feet of water off the bottom and just getting them to crush a bait. I mean, the it for swim bait fishing, it had everything you would want in a lake. I mean, clear water, grass, hard spots in the on the points and everything else. I mean, uh, there's some rock walls, concrete walls. I mean, anything you wanted to fish, you you had the opportunity to do damage uh, with any style of swim bait fishing you wanted to do out there. Damn, dude, and this is just based on what you just said about the guys gill fishing that last week when, when everyone word spread that this place was closing down across all the States and, you know, across the whole state of Texas, was that boat ramp like the purge? I mean, were guys just dumping boats in there? Were you watching the water level raised because all these boats were getting dumped in or was it still kind of mellow out there? So that closing was mellow. So they, this lake has closed twice in the past year. And in February, they, it was when they initially knew they were, gonna, they were probably going to lose it, and they shut it down, and a special committee got together within the state and basically forced Texas Parks and Wildlife to open the park back up until they were basically kicked off the property, which will be in six days they'll have to be out of there because we're, we're recording this on the 7th, so on the 13th they have to vacate the premises. So uh, they forced them to open the lake back up. But that first closure, I'm talking about, uh, there were days where at least 100 boats on the water. And you're talking about a 2,200-acre lake. So you can just imagine, and me being on a, in a kayak, you know, <laughs> I'm just out there <laughs> riding the surf because it's just boats moving all over the place, guys fishing on top of each other. And... You know, a lot of that's how I found a lot of those spots where nobody else really fished, but there was something that I saw in them, and I'd pull some good fish off of them. Oh, dude, I, I just, I just have a picture in my head of just guys, guys throwing it in their first dump on their boat in, and just fucking getting back to the parking lot so they can go fish. But so they closed it that first time. Was there any hope for it opening back up again, or was that kind of like? At the time, was that the end of the line for the end of the line for the lake? So at that time, we, you know, TPWD was basically, they actually warned us this time. They were like, hey, you know, we're closing it. We've got to get all the property dismantled and everything else and get all our stuff off. And so we thought that was it. Like, everybody thought that was it. We fished, I mean... Those two guys I mentioned earlier, Derek and Jim, I think we were there every day for a week. I mean, we fished the hell out of it. Uh, and there, we didn't have any hope. I didn't think, I mean, they, Texas Parks, or at least the Texas representatives, state representatives here, talked like they were going to do everything they could to save it and this and that. And we'll get into that a little deeper as we start to go into the whole story. Um, but those guys, man... Th- we just thought like it's done 
And so then they got this special committee together and like a week and a half, two weeks later, they opened it back up. And so then this last time when it closed, we knew it was closing. We knew that the final date was coming up. We all had it marked on our calendars and we would talk to the staff on site because we came friends, you know, being out there all the time, you become friends with those people and like Labor Day or Memorial Day weekend, they I showed up that Saturday morning and one of the grounds crew guys is, hey, Zach, come here. He said, uh, just going to let you know the lake's closing on Monday, the 29th. And so we're like, OK, so I text, you know, the guys who fish out there with me, let them know. So we were all there on the 29th and on the 29th, I'm up fishing a, a shallow one of those hard points. Um, I stick a good fish, get it in, weigh it, and those guys come down there cleaning the trash bins out, and he hollers at me, and I pull up on the bank, and he says, so they're going to keep it open till the 31st. I said, all right, that's cool. That gives me another two days. Well, I had to go to work that Monday. We were closing billing. Uh, I'm a project manager for the teardown and rebuild of wind generators in shop repairs, so had to close billing for the month. So I closed billing out on that Monday, and then I called in sick on Tuesday and went back out there. And uh, and fished it for what I thought was the last day. Uh, didn't really run into anybody that day. The lady at the gate said that she knew that her contract was up that day, so that was her last day, and that she thought that they were closing it on the 29th, and she hadn't heard anything else, and we all thought that was it. And it ended up staying open for two more days, I think. Wow. Yeah, it stayed open for a few more days, and then they finally shut it down. Damn, dude! And so they they have to they have to gut the place. They have to take all their shit off that property, right? Yes, supposedly, or at least all the vehicles and any other equipment and anything else that they want to get off. I think their initial plan was they were going to tear down all their buildings and everything else, but I don't think they have the time to do that now with with closing it. It's only been closed for about a week now, so and they have to get off in six days, be completely out of there. So I'm not sure what all they're leaving behind. They told the grounds crew had told me initially they were going to pull all the RV electrical hookups and all the water lines up and everything else, and I'm not sure that they'll ever get that accomplished at this it, point. Not not to <clears throat> like get political or anything, but the way you're explaining this, I just am thinking of those videos that came out last year of of all the military guys that were still over in Afghanistan that were just, you know, roaching all these R or roaching all these Humvees and, you know, destroying all these helicopters and stuff because they weren't going to bring them back. That's just all I have pictured in my mind is these guys just ripping out all these RV hookups and, you know, cutting all the picnic tables and throwing them in trash bins. That's just, that's the thought that I have in my head right now. And that is so crazy to think about. <laughs> and I'd like to be out there to see what's going on because it might be that way. I mean, I don't know how vindictive the state is or or if they know something that we don't, you know, being out there and being able to see how they're handling the closure might give us some uh, news on on what the state has up their sleeves on how they're going to handle this situation. Yeah, so it's <clears throat> just just to break this down because people might not be understanding and I want to make sure I understand it. So it's the power company that has the lease, right? No. So the power company owns the property. Owns the property. And then the state was leasing it for the park? The state started leasing it in and the initial lease 
signature took place in 1972. The park opened in 1976. Uh, in 1976, the state park, they finished developing what they wanted to with all the RV hookups and bathrooms and everything else, and they opened the lake to public use. Uh, Texas leased that property for 50 years, and then in 2018, when the power plant finally shut down uh, in 2020, they destroyed it, and Luminant put the property, or Vistra Corp, uh, which owns Luminant Power, put the property up for sale in 2021. Uh, they listed it at that time for 110 million, and uh, so that's the park is 1,800 acres. The lake is 22 to 2,400 acres, depending on who you talk to. And then the other side of the property, where the power plant actually stood, and all that land over there, is an additional 3,800 acres. So almost 5,000 acres in total. Oh, dude, I didn't even know they tore down the power plant because the the article I'm reading is from February of this year but I didn't read the little fine caption, unfortunately. It's a stock image from 2005, so it still had the power plant in that picture. So they tore that thing down. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So yeah. was it just the way it looks, like just from these couple of pictures that I've been looking at, it kind of is just open out there? So is that all it was, was trees around the banks and stuff, but no buildings or anything? So the only buildings in the background were the um... – TPWD built a conference room, kind of a party room or whatever, at one of the boat ramps. And then you had the bathrooms, but most of the bathrooms aren't visible from when you're on the lake due to the trees and the uh, abundance of the tulies or the cattails that you see. So, uh, I mean, like I said, whenever you're talking about landmarks, you're really your only landmarks, your big landmarks that everybody knows is the conference room that's built next to the one boat ramp. And then where the old power plant sits and there's a water tower that stands next to it. And then like your concrete uh, discharge channel or your uh, dam or the rock dam that, that separated the uh, main lake from that holding tank that I was talking about for hot water. Uh, basically, I mean, there's hardly any any landmarks that you can really tell unless you fish it a lot. You know, trees and bank lines and everything else, you know. The subtle differences, uh, like many of us who fished it for a long time do. Wow, I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at it on Google Maps just so I have an idea. And wow, dude, like this is not what I was really expecting, because the the picture on Google Maps, it, the uh, the factory is still up, or maybe they're taking it down or something. But so they they actually uh, shut the lake down for a day and imploded it. Oh, no shit. Back in, back in 2020. What? Yeah, I think there there may be video online if you look up like uh, on YouTube, like Big Brown Mine, our Big Brown Power Plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's video online of them blowing it up. Oh, so is this little, little creek arm uh, a little bit northwest of that bridge that looks like it drives to the power plant. Was that what you were talking about by that little island? I might screenshot it and send it to you if you... It, it's by the uh, power lines and stuff. It looks like there's a cement barrier right there. Or maybe that's just a bridge. So you see that little creek arm, how it goes out of the main lake and up in there, and then it opens up into a big area and then up to the power plant? Yeah, yep. So that's the holding area for hot water. So if you follow that little creek arm all the way back to the main lake, right as you get to the main lake, is where that concrete discharge is where the concrete discharge channel is where I caught a lot of big fish. Huh. So 
I guess my next big question is Fairfield Lake. This wasn't man-made. They just added the. They added it for themselves. They put the power plant or they put the plant there, and they dredged it out so they had discharges and stuff. Correct. So okay. the, so the power the power company built the lake uh, as a cooling lake for the power plant itself. Uh, so that it's not on any main river system or anything else. Uh, at the time before when they filled it, they actually pumped, they actually had a pipe built from the Trinity River, which isn't too far away, to the lake, and they pumped water from the river into the lake to fill the lake. Huh. Wow, this is just such a bizarre story on on how this is unraveling. It is... What's the hope going forward? I mean, I, I assume that you guys hope that either what this the state is going to buy that land from him or maybe so that somebody's going to buy no it, longer, it up to the public i guess yeah that is no longer an option for okay. the state for the state to purchase it outright um so i guess we'll go into the history here so tpwd opened the park in 76 they leased it for 50 years uh, they spent $72 million overall in taxpayer dollars building the facility, maintenance, and everything over those 50 years. Yeah. Um, but when the lake came up for sale, they never really made an offer on it. Uh, eventually, I think, when, this, when the Todd Financial Group finally got involved, um, TPWD went in and made an offer to Vistra. Or not Vistra. Or yeah, I guess to Vistra. Yeah, they, that's the ownership. They made an offer to Vistra. For seventeen or for seventy million dollars, in that seventy million dollars, they wanted the eighteen hundred acres that the park set on, and then the twenty two hundred acre lake, or at least rights to the lake. Yep. Um, Vistra came back immediately and told them that if they were going to purchase the property, that they needed to purchase the entire thing, that they would sell them the other thirty eight hundred acres at forty million dollars. Um. And TPWD knows, like most of us who fish out there, that uh, so the power plant was destroyed, but there never was any really cleanup done. Oh, they've, shit. Hauled, they've hauled some rubble off, but you've also got fly ash ponds and everything else from it being a coal-fired power plant. And it's kind of an environmental disaster area, I guess you could say. Um, or at least cleaning it. it, it you, they would be under, you'd be under strict regulations. I'm sure the EPA mm -hmm. and whoever else would be involved on getting that cleaned up. But um, so basically TPWD told them no, that that wasn't an option, that they didn't want the other half of the par the property. They just wanted their 1,800 acres and access to the lake or to own the lake rights. Uh, so Vistra said that's off the table. And then this Todd Financial Group came in, and from what I understand, they offered uh, Vistra what their asking price was, which was the $110 million. And they've had the lake under contract with Vistra up for about just a year. And I think it just closed their contract or their contract. They closed on the property on the first. So they own it now. Um, so when that started coming up, uh, when they closed the lake the first time, basically all the politicians got involved. A uh, representative from my area filed a bill to, to enforce eminent domain. Uh, for the state basically to take the property. So for those who are like the state taking property or whatever, you know, Texas is all about their their rights. But yeah, 
Uh, there's never been, a, at least from what I've read from and people that I've talked to that are lawyers and over eminent domain, is that there's never been a cleaner cut case uh, because when you when the state takes property for eminent domain, it has to be used for public use. Um, being that this was already a park for 50 years and uh, that the state had dumped $72 million into the facilities there, that basically they could take it pretty much if they wanted to and do and keep the park open and and do as they pleased. Uh, a bunch of our state representatives immediately after that bill was filed, it made it through the house almost unanimously. And then it was the wording was redacted and changed. They removed eminent domain and they tried to go another route because they were all afraid that they were going to lose voters if they enforced eminent domain, being that Texas values personal property rights so much. Yeah. So they came up with the idea to restrict the water usage because the Todd group, initially there was reports that they wanted to sell the water to DFW, uh, which would shrink the lake's size uh, and ruin a bunch of the wildlife. There's bald eagles, otters, uh, all sorts of animals that call that place home. Mm -hmm. And so the state was worried about that. I'm doing air quotations. Basically, uh, they enforced uh, in their wording in the bill to, to basically make it where um, the new property owners couldn't do anything with the water to basically save the environment. Yeah. So there was a big stink between them over that, and that kind of held up the contract negotiations for a little while. And that's in the time that the park closed the first time and then it reopened. Um, so the state got a special committee together, voted that they would be able to pay whatever Vistra wanted for the property. So mind you, the Todd group already has it under contract for 110 million. Mm -hmm. So the state goes behind the Todd group's back and offers Vistra 95 million for the entire property. Expecting them to sell it to the state because of all the stink and everything else that's gone on with it. Offering them what twenty thousand or twenty million dollars less under uh, asking, yeah, yeah, than than what and what they already had under contract, mind you, they've yeah. already got somebody willing to pay this amount of money. So Vistra basically told them no. Oh, well, I guess I need to backtrack here. So when the Todd Group came in, the state went to the Todd Group and offered them seventy million for the park and rights to the lake. Is is Todd Group just a group of investors? Yes. Okay. They're um, real estate moguls. Okay. Okay. Awesome. It's a dad and his two sons. Oh, geez. And they've got all sorts of bad. I'm sure they're, they've got money backing them from all over the place in the state. Right. But they went and offered them the same $70 million that they offered to um, Vistro. 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 Right. In order to get the the property rights to the lake and for their part. So the Todd group came back and they said, we'll give you $60 million or for $60 million. We cut the park in half. We keep that property and you guys still get access to the lake. And TP, TPWD came back and told them no. Hmm. So, so then after, after they went behind the Todd group's back and offered 
the Vistra $95 million for the whole property, then their next tactic was to offer the Todd group $25 million to drop their contract. So mind you, these guys have already got developers set up. They've already got investors involved and everything else. And they're trying to go through with what they want to do. And so the state was like, here's 25 million. You just drop your contract and then we'll buy it from Vistra. And the Todd group basically told them that that wasn't an option, that that, you know, that they already have all this set up. Everybody's involved. They're going through with this, with the purchase. So all that washes out. This is in the past two weeks. And then, so now the state has a special committee meeting Saturday, this Saturday on the 10th to discuss the use of eminent domain, which if they were going to, if they had, if they were going to take the lake, then they were going to do everything possible. They, this would have been the route to take from the get go. Right. Yeah. Do it in one swoop before all this, before this can of worms gets opened. Correct. And they, and they could, t and that, so now basically if they take it, they take the property, mind you, it was listed at 110 million in 2021. So property values in Texas have skyrocketed over the past two years. Yeah. So I can only imagine what it appraises at now, but they basically have to pay if they take it from the Todd financial group. Now they have to pay fair market value for it. So whatever it appraises at, they have to give them that amount of money. Put them a check for that. Yeah. So I would expect it's probably in the 125, $130 million range. And that's just me guessing, but I, it, for that amount of land with the lake and everything else, uh, they're going to end up paying a premium for it. So essentially, after the domain idea, they were in, in the, you said the Todd group, that's what it's called? Yeah, Todd Financial Group or something like that. Yeah. So after they had already picked up the contract, Texas was going to try to pay them $25 million to drop it and turn around and offer that $75 million or whatever they had beforehand to, to pick, pick or to sign, it, to sign the contract, I assume? Yeah, with Vistra, they wanted to offer Vistra the $95 million to basically to, to take the property. Dude, I mean, essentially at that point in time, it would have been them, it would have just been them, yeah. It would have been cheaper just to, from the beginning, just to cut that check. Would you say 110 was what it was valued at in 21? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It, it, so, I mean, it, like I said, so now, now that, now that the Todd Financial Group owns it, if, if the state, the way eminent domain works is if the state takes the property, they have to pay you a fair value of what the property is assessed at at the time it is condemned, mm -hmm. which means it'll have to be appraised again and they'll have to pay whatever market value is on that property now. Damn. So if they take it now, I mean, they're going to be out, they're, they're going to shell out $120, 130000000 million dollars to get. Oh, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, was it public knowledge on what side or how they wanted to cut that park up? Like, was, was that Todd group going to try to take all those RV hookups? Like, I assume these guys, if, I mean, this is me coming from, you know, a tiny idea of how business works. I assume they're probably going to, they're trying to buy it and, and make this property what into into like a, a a ladybird lake just put a shit ton of houses and stuff on it or do you is there some idea that they've talked about that they're trying to do with this property uh so the idea for their property for the property is to make it a gated neighborhood with multi-million dollar homes 
a high-end country club, golf courses, condos, and everything else. I mean, anything you can imagine is basically in a gated community yeah. on the which what will be the largest privately owned lake in the state. And and looking looking at uh, Fairview from you know Google Maps or Fairfield, sorry, Fairfield. So to the to the southwest of the lake, are those all oil rigs, oil fields? Hmm. I'm not sure what you're looking at. On let me screenshot. Let me, pull, well, let me pull it up. Yeah, it's right on that uh, southern tip of it. There's all those big like it almost looks like parking lots. I wasn't sure if there was oil grasshoppers there or, you know, what what is all in there. But I mean, even. Even if the if the Todd group buys it, like 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 you'd said before, I mean whoever owns it, they're responsible for taking care of all that rubble and, and just stuff. Oh, that oh yeah, that's, that's all gas wells. So actually, all that into the lake, at least in those areas you're seeing there, that's all private property. Okay. Except for so you see where the tree line runs on the edges of those properties. So yeah. anything from that tree line in is owned in luminate or Vistra's property. Damn. Wow, dude, this is like so intricate and just a crazy ass story on how this is all unfolding. And you know, Texas, Texas trying to take that gamble and and go behind each of their backs more than once to try to undermine the other and 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 you know pick it up for under under market value. That uh, that's gnarly. I mean, that just goes to show that. The gambling doesn't always work, man, you know. (laughs) Not only that, like, the lake was up for sale for two years, and they never even made an offer on it until somebody else already had. Yeah, they were hoping it was just going to sit there and float on the market, and maybe they could just kind of be there. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what what exactly their plan was from the get-go. I mean, they knew it was up for sale. It was posted in the Dallas Morning News, like... It was it, when it went up for sale. You know, it was the it was listed as the pri- the biggest, largest private lake in the state of Texas is up for sale. I mean, you you they knew at some point. I mean, all of us knew at some point. We I think the hope for many of the anglers out there was that the state was going to step up and do the right thing from the get go, and they let it sit for two years. And that's exactly what I, I mean. I feel for the Todd group. I. Do I want the lake back? Yeah, selfishly, absolutely, I want the lake back. But I mean, these guys sat sat there for two years, and they, you know, they basically said they watched the newspapers and everything, and the state of Texas never made an offer on it. And then they go, they turn around and make an offer, and then all of a sudden they get all this conniving, backstabbing, playing political games to try to take it away from them. I mean. I feel for both sides, but as as a person who this was my home lake and it's a place that I absolutely love, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to see, to be able to get to fish it again, absolutely. If there was that option, yeah, I mean, that it's tough. Uh, I don't, when you're, when you get obsessed into something so deep that, you know, you live and breathe it, it's like a part of you. It's like yeah. somebody took a part of you away, like, something that you that you've done every weekend for the past two years you can no longer do anymore damn dude i i i guess i am surprised 
that Texas back in the eighties put all this money into it and, and, and to, to build, to build the boat ramps and the parks and stuff. And they never, you know, they didn't, they didn't put any money away. It doesn't seem like they didn't have a piggy bank. They, they just were like, Oh, this is the, this is the next generation politicians problem. This isn't our problem. Like we're going to, we're going to be gone before this lease runs out. And I feel like if they cared at the beginning, they would have kind of had an idea how this was going to play out or make it make it so it didn't play out. You know, be ready, be ready for when that lease is up. They're like, okay, well, you know, here here's the money that you guys want for the property. It, we're just hand it over to us now. It just seems like they woke up one morning and they're like, fuck, like we we the lease is up. Like we need to somehow get this under property value now because. We did not think about this until you know this week, and so we need to do something quick. That that's almost a perfect example of how it went down. And I'm I don't know if they just thought like uh, all of the all of the people in the state were just going to roll over and be like, oh well, it's gone now. Like it got voted the best state park in the state. Texas is a huge state. There's a ton of state parks. For it to get voted the the best state park in the state. And then, you know, had up to or has had up to 80,000 visitors for the past five or 10 years. I mean, it that's a lot of people. And you and then not only that, then they take the slap in the face where this happens in their centennial year. So it's the hundredth year of Texas state parks and you get what was voted your best state park of last year taken away from you or not taken away from you. I mean, you basically piddled around and pissed it away thinking that nobody else was going to buy it. Yeah, dude, this is a sticky, steep slope that realistically, like you said, if they really cared and they, they were planning for a future, this would have been, you know, speared 10 years ago. They would have already had legis or not legislation, but they would have already had it mocked up on on what the plan was like they wouldn't just be like oh shit it's gone now like we really fucked this one up guys like what are we gonna do now and it's just i you mean honestly, say that about the legislation and everything but this this has caused them now to put legislation in place and start putting money back because there i believe there's five or seven other state parks in the state that are leased through other companies oh and shit. So basically, Texas has put legislation in place where they are to be given first bid and honored and everything else. And 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 they're putting things, putting money back in order to make sure that they start saving these parks because you know, land is one of the things that's limited. Mm -hmm. uh, there's only, you know, uh, there's only so much. We're not making new land. Uh, and so when you have these parks that, that are public access that people have the ability to enjoy. Uh, and you lose, especially one like we've lost, uh, it really makes you start to realize things. And I think if anything's good out of it, at least in the future, this we won't we probably won't have another issue like this. But it took this absolute shit show in order to get them to get up and actually do what they're paid to do. I mean. Yeah, and honestly, you know, might sound like a dick, but. I understand the power company's like uh, stance on this. I mean, they had like like we just talked about. They had two years to 
to work something out, to to even act interested, to move forward with negotiations, and they just kind of pissed it away. And I mean, as a state legislator, how are you going to be mad that you fumbled that chance? Like, oh, I can't believe that that this, they sold it to this investment company and they didn't sell it to us or whatever. And then and then for Texas to try to to try to backpedal and just. I, <laughs> I'm trying to watch my words here and then just try to pry it for try to get it for cheaper. It's just it is so crazy to hear about that, man. And do you think that they were maybe not necessarily hoping, but do you think the thought was that maybe this would all happen nonchalantly? Like, do you think the government made a huss about it because they realize that they're losing it? So I think I mean, I don't know exactly what was going on or what went through their heads. Uh, I mean, I can speculate that they probably thought that that letting it go and letting whoever buy it was good for whatever. And I think once, because nothing was ever really mentioned about it, but when the lake closed the first time, like there were protesters lined up. No shit. Out front of the gates. And I mean, the so you take, what is, I can't remember the six park road, 64, I believe. So, I mean, that park, that road basically just goes into the park, like it dead ends in the park. And when you have people who are specifically driving down that road just to pick it out front of the park entrance, uh, you know, people went to to the Capitol, to Austin and and picketed at the at the Capitol. Uh, I mean, I don't I think they may have thought that it was just going to roll over and die and they weren't going to have to deal with it. And they were just going to lose a park and that was it and ended up, there was a lot of people that actually really, really loved and enjoyed that place. I mean, you, you look at it from I mean, there's bass fishermen there every day or there was, there were guys on that. I mean, I, I could take off, I would take off work sometimes in the middle of the week just because I needed a day away where I wanted to go fish. I mean, that's, that's my church getting out on the water is, is my church. It's where, I talk to God and get out and <laughs> throw swim baits and do something I enjoy and get everything else off my mind and relax. And there were a lot of people like me that were out there that were doing the same thing. And, you know, I could take off on a Wednesday afternoon and go out there and there's 10 other boats on the water. I mean, bass fishermen held that place up. And when you look at the statistics it put up on like the Sherlunker webpage and you look at all the eight plus pound bass that were registered out of that. And I can tell you right now, that's not half of them that were caught. Right. But like Derek, that the guy that I talked about that fishes out of the same kayak as me last year during July, he put 12 fish in his boat that were 24 inches plus in July. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the way Texas measures is measures their share lunker is now anything over eight pounds can be registered and you get like a, it's like a goodie box. They send you like a hat and stickers and, and a few baits and, you know, like soft plastics and stuff and you get recognized. And so they measure it by any fish over eight pounds or over 24 inches. It's considered a trophy class largemouth in the state of Texas. And so Derek registered 12 of those fish in July. Now, mind you, he, and I, he may get mad if I talk about this, but he, you know, we're not able to fish the lake anymore. He was fishing nighttime. He was going out. He's a retired pilot. He would go out on his, on his blue sky and he has live scope and 360 and basically said, you know, he told me he was going out and he was flying a plane. 
he was using his his instead of using radar like you would to fly a plane at night he's using his sonar to find these fish and dropping a big worm in front of their face and hooking up on them wow that's fucking sick and you know that's what i asked him i was like i I ran into him at the end of july it was probably like july 25th somewhere around there last year and i was like d what are you doing i was like good lord and he was like i'm flying a plane son and i was like (laughs) flying a plane and he was like you know playing video games i was like derek i i don't play video games either like (laughs) and he was like I'm using, he was like, I'm using coming out here at night. And he was like, I'm basically the only person out here and I'm using my graphs and hunting these big fish down and throwing a worm right in front of their face and sticking them. And I was like, man, that, that has to be fun. Like, I mean, it it was just a place. I don't, it, it was an amazing, it's an amazing fishery. It was an amazing fishery. I mean, just, just like the, the tale with, Lawrence, I kept, I've been telling Lawrence since I started fishing that place, Lawrence and I talk on a regular basis, probably once or twice a week, at least, if not more. And I mean, most of the guys know who Lawrence Lee is. And I've been telling Lawrence for two years, you need to come over here and fish with me. You need to come over and fish with me. We need to put live scope. I want to, I want to fish this lake with live scope. I promise you, if we get live scope on this lake, one of us will stick a double digit. And (laughs) And we pull onto the lake. Uh, we ran a good offshore, a good offshore point. First thing in the morning when we got on the water, uh, the first point we pull up to uh, is a really it's the you really can't both of the points we fished really that early that morning. You really can't tell that they're there off the bank. You have to know the lake or if you have graphs and you we pull up on it and there are just schools of double digit bass just running around. And we're just moving from school to school, throwing a big glide bait over the top of them, throwing a soft paddle tail at them. And we may have had like three or four followers. We were there for like 15 minutes. And Lawrence has got enough enough history with his live scope that he looks, he's watching these fish and the way they're reacting. And he goes, these fish aren't active right now. We need to find a different group and come back later. Cool, man. You know what you're doing with this. And I know this lake. And he says, where do we go? And I turn and point directly from, you know, east to west across the lake, just right across from us. I go, see the boat ramp there? There's a submerged point out in front of it. We'll go to that next. Fire up the motor, run directly, you know, not long ways across the lake, just, uh, you know, sideways across the lake, right over to the next point. The wind's blowing from back, from back behind the point out across it. So we pull up in front of it, or no, the wind was blowing onto the point. But we pulled up on front of the point, drop scope. We drop scope. There's big gizzard shad there. Immediately we start seeing, you know, big gizzards up pushing with the wind pushing in on that point. We see big gizzards pushing up on that point. And we scope around a little bit more. Boom. There's a blimp. Boom. There's another blimp. Boom. There's another blimp. Boom. There's another blimp. All these big bass hanging out right as the point drops off at the, at the, on the bottom. And he said, with the gizzard pushing in, he said, those fish are staging to eat. He said, they might be more active. So we pulled around the backside of the point and lined up where the wind was in our face so we could set the trolling motor. <laughs> Lawrence looks at me. He goes, man, I got to pee. He said, you take over the trolling motor. So I hop on the trolling motor. I was throwing a, a legend. I cast my legend out. Thing hits the water. I let it sink down about five feet or so start working it immediately i get a hot 
Lawrence looked at the screen after he came up behind me. She was, he said she was probably in the five to six pound range. She came up hot on the bait, tight. I'm working her in. As I come across the top of that point where we see those big fish sitting, one of those big fish comes up off the bottom. So now I've got a six, five to six pound follower and a double digit follower coming up behind my bait. I work it into the boat. And I, this time I'm, I'm, you know, already I'm hollering back at him. Hey, Lawrence, one of those bigs is moving. One of those bigs is moving. <laughs> and my bait is about, uh, it was about at 60 feet out. And she followed from 60 feet out up to about 20 feet away from the boat. And so he's, he's come up behind me. He's like, how long has she been following for? And I'm like, she's, she's closing in, you know, on been following for 40 feet or so. And that's kind of what he told me, you know, looking at live scope, but those fish follow for, if they don't follow for more than 10 feet, on that screen, usually they're not interested in a bait. And he said, these fish look like they're more active. And he says, move out of the way. And he picks up his king that he just bought. Yeah, yeah. It's like the day before. <laughs> the, this is like the fifth cast with it. 16 hours before. <laughs> yeah. He turns around, casts the king out. I step to the right and I'm getting ready to cast again. And I can't, I couldn't really see the screen at where he was at, you know. And all of a sudden he just turns and looks at me. He goes, hey, man. I said, yeah. And he goes, go get the net ready. And I said, why? And he's, and he kind of stepped to the side and all I could see was this big blip on the screen following his bait. And he's like, I'm about to get bit. So I go back, I pull the, you know, hurriedly pull the net out get it set on the deck. And about that time he rips that glide bait twice. And all I hear is drag peel. And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. He's like, yeah, get the net, get the net, get the net, get the net. So I'm, Swing up beside the boat, miss the miss the fish on the first dip, and finally get it into the net. We're there twenty minutes, and we have a ten-two in the boat. Uh, so uh, several other guys made the trip over there with us. Uh, so Cody Kirk, who's fished that lake on a regular basis, even though he's from out in Georgia, that's one of his lakes that oh. when he comes to Texas, he visits. Yeah. So, uh, and in fact, I think he posted an article about Fairfield today. So. Cody met us over there. Uh, Carlton, Caddo, Josh, Ballou, oh, and yeah. Bo Spire all all made the journey with us over there. So all those guys are fishing. So we there's shitty cell service out there. So we're trying to get a hold of Bo, trying to get a hold of Bo, trying to get a hold of Bo. We finally get in touch with Bo, and we're by this time Lawrence has already you know videoed the weight of the fish and taking pictures, and we got it all out on the deck and on the board and. <clears throat> course we put her in the live well after he first caught her and she sat in the live well for probably five or ten minutes and then he pulled her out and we got he got you know video of her him removing her from the live well and all that good stuff all the good jazz and then we got her we got her back in the water you know she was maybe out of the water when he first caught her for 10 or 15 seconds and then when once we got weights and everything, I mean, we had everything set up and ready to go. So she may have been out of the water for 30, 45 seconds, and then she was back in the lake. Mm -hmm. And let that fish go. Well, the, you know, in the 10 minutes, we let her sit in the live well while we're chit-chatting. And I was making more cast, and he's retying and everything else, you know, as as we all do. Uh, you know, we're the whole time I'm trying to call Bo, he's trying to call Bo. We finally get Bo's attention, but by the time him and Carlton get over there, we've already let the fish go. And then Cody and Josh pull up on us. So we talked to everybody, and then I ended up getting out of Lawrence's boat and hopping in the boat with Bo because I have such a vast knowledge of that lake, the spots, the way the spot's set up, 
with different wind directions and everything else. So my goal was to try to put Bo on a big fish. And then I'd already discussed Lawrence, what our game plan was going to be throughout the day. So I let Carl, so Carlton hopped in the boat with Lawrence. And basically we tried to split up to, you know, to figure out how we could put everyone on a big fish that day. Yeah, right. And then, you know, like I said, Cody had fished that lake previously. So him and Josh, when actually when Bo and I pulled by him and Josh, they were on a prime spot that holds big fish. There's a tire pile off the edge of a point that goes out into a deep channel swing coming up into one of those creek arms and it it holds monster fish. And so, you know, that's Bo kind of asked me, he was like, are they on a good spot? And I was like, yeah, that's a hellacious spot. Like I've stuck bigs off that. And so we just kind of ran around on my spots. The wind picked up throughout the day. And in fact, I think everybody got bit except for me, which is probably the way it goes when you take everybody to your lake. Uh, everybody, you know, caught fish, I think, except for me that day. And I went back and fished it the next day and caught fish, though. So, Dude, like, hearing you, hearing you talk about this and talk about going to fish it Sunday, I'm like, son of a bitch, we should have came and fished. We fished some lake that we had no idea. We caught a couple fish, but nothing too crazy. But, wow, dude, like, uh, I got the feeling that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to come down there and fish this lake. But it's like, fuck, you can't. This lake is... As of now, it's not there, essentially. I mean, it's there, but you can't go fish it. So what is, are all the boat ramps and stuff just have big, uh, big probably cement fence blocks in front of it and stuff? Or you probably, you probably don't know. You probably haven't been over there to look so at the, it or anything. The park is gated coming in. So okay. when DPWD ran it, so the way they run their state parks is uh, you you can fish overnights and there's, uh, most of the time, like if Derek or somebody was fishing it overnight, like they were paying, well, we all have state park passes, so we don't have to pay anything. You just get a, just a cool. sticker. That goes in your, yeah. A sticker that goes in your window that shows that you're paid. So you ask for a day pass for two days and tell them you're going to stay on the lake overnight or, or get off the water whenever. And they didn't really care. Uh, but then, you know, with the RV hookups and everything, those people could stay in and fish overnights, but usually at, 10 or 12 they but they had see at that time they had park employees on on the facilities at all times so the gates the gates usually stayed open or or if they locked them you know they were open back up at five o'clock in the morning or whatever because they had people on site the whole time yeah uh, so basically just to keep everybody out all they have to do is lock the main gate uh and you can't i mean you can't even get into the road that goes down to the boat ramps damn dude is there any well i guess now we're going to kind of get to what we kind of hope might unfold from this i guess best case scenario on if if these if this investor company keeps it or does does get it and keep it and everything I mean, do you think that there's a possibility that they they keep obviously they keep the boat ramps there and they just charge a hellacious fee to dump boats in? I mean, that's like best case scenario, I guess. If if this uh, if they're the ones that keep this property, right? Yeah. So if they're the ones that keep this property, they've already made it known that it, there will be no public access. No, uh, really. Which tells me that more than likely your lake. And I've heard rumors from guys uh, 
you know, being in fishing guys that ran uh, hatcheries and stuff like that for like private ponds that, that Vistra has a hundred thousand grass carp on order. Uh, and I have a feeling that those fish are probably destined for that lake. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you, you essentially do what TPWD did in the past with Lake Austin and Purtis Creek and those places. And you turn it into a swimming. Uh, yeah. yeah. You turn it into a lake with absolutely no cover in it and it declines very quickly. So, I mean, if you go down that rabbit hole with me and you talk about like, so Purtis Creek used to be one of my favorite places. It was a uh, Texas parks and wildlife, big bass sanctuary or whatever they called it back then. And uh, people complained about the amount of grass in it. It was fairly clear water. It was beautiful lake, held monster fish. Um, you know, uh, share lunkers caught out of there on a regular basis, double, multiple double-digit bass every year. Not a very big lake at all, and they put those grass carp in. And within two years, there wasn't a stitch of grass in the whole lake, and now it's just a big mud hole. And you're lucky if an eight-pounder is caught out of there every year. Wow. So they are just ready to ink this deal. Boom. These guys are going to start building houses on it. We're going to take the initiative for them. We're going to dump all these grass carp in there to make it so when these so, houses are built, this lake is. Yeah. And I'm awesome. not sure, you know, Vistra owns several power plant lakes and they may have ordered these fish for somewhere else, but that's just the rumor mill is that they were going to put them in Fairfield. And if they do that, then I have a feeling the lake is going to be used predominantly by pleasure boaters. Uh, being that you're putting multi-million dollar houses on it. Yeah, exactly. I have a feeling it's going to be a bunch of wakeboard boats and pontoon boats and party barges and whatever else. And there's going to be people going out there and tubing and skiing and wakeboarding and drinking beer and having a good time. Yeah. And then best case scenario moving forward, Texas puts this legislation, uh, signs it as a bill or whatever, whatever they do and they open the parks back up, but I mean, they still have to worry about all the debris and stuff from the, from the factory, right? Essentially. I mean, they can't. Well, it's just uh, so essentially they could run the park as is um, with no issue. Okay. And it may take them 10 years to clear that property off. But uh, I know at least from what I had talked to is that if they, if they do enforce eminent domain, is that Texas was looking at opening up the other side eventually. Uh, so Vistra at one point had a resort on the other side when the power plant was open for their employees. Hmm. So there are on that side of the lake buried up in the woods, there are two sets of, of like apartments or condos, single story. That's, that's uh, each of them have like, yeah, like eight rooms or whatever. And then they had on one of the points, over there close to the power plant, they had uh, tennis courts and basketball courts and volleyball courts, which are all overgrown with grass right now, because like I said, the power plant hasn't been open for so long. Uh, and so basically their employees could come during the summertime and bring their families and vacation out there. Uh, so I know Texas Parks and Wildlife had talk about going back in if they got it and opening all that up, but I'm sure that that would be a while down the road if they did that. But essentially, you would still have access to the lake because on that side of the lake, there's a, currently there's a well, there is a boat ramp, but it's grassed over and everything else now. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could essentially run the park and you could still fish the lake just as is today if they if they were to enforce eminent domain and take it over or take it 
back or whatever, however you look at that, I guess, take it over. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the lake would open back up and they, I think they had, they had understanding of what the potential that lake holds, especially for uh, an East Texas fishery. I mean, you're, I won't say it'll get on the level of Ivy, but here over the next two years or so, I mean, this lake is just now coming into a prime like Ivy has. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, your lakes are cyclical. Uh, and so you have up cycles and down cycles. Well, this lake is coming into a heavy up cycle of spitting out big fish, has been for about two years. And so you look at, you're going to get like a, two to three more year run and then it'll start to die off again uh but i mean this is you're talking you talk about closing it at like the worst time i mean millikan's caught multiple 12 pounders uh multiple 10 pounders a 14 uh i mean all within the past year yeah dude i mean he his his last video one of his last videos that he just posted uh, where he's in the electrical storm or did I get electrocuted or whatever, mm-hmm. that's on Fairfield. Hmm. He's on Fairfield uh, in that video. And you go and watch that video right now and look at the fish, the quality fish that he sticks. I mean, that <laughs> you are any of the Wednesday night tournaments that he entered, those are all on Fairfield. You can, if, if you want a history on this lake and see guys fishing it, go look at, I mean, you can go watch his videos and and you can tell what lake it is. It's the one that when you look at it, there's just nothing but trees and tule lines behind him the whole time. Dude, I will say, <clears throat> referring back to Google Images, dude, this, it honestly just looks like Chernobyl, like just barren wasteland. Like, and it, it's eerie. I, I found the tennis court and the basketball courts, dude, like, this is just some weird ass shit. This is like some stuff you'd see on YouTube, like urban explorer guys looking at. I mean, I, I see the old boat ramp, the old boat ramps right there. I mean, just brush it off and you could dump a boat in. Um, it, it's so weird. My question was, as I was zooming in and by their little boat ramp right there to the North, it'd be like the North Cove above it with that little, it looks like a floating boathouse. Did yes. you, uh, did you ever catch a big fish out of there or under there or anything around there? Yeah. Surprisingly, there were never any fish that held underneath that boathouse. Really? Uh, so one of the largest fish I've ever seen out there, if you look on the same right there where that boathouse is, if you come right there to where the, the that cove that the boathouse sits in, like like directly where the boathouse sits in, it kind of inlets yep. back there. If you come around right on that corner, there was a bass spawning on in that Thule lines right there on that point last year. That was probably in the 13 to 14 pound range. No shit, dude. One of the biggest bass I've ever seen in my life spawning right there on that grass line. And of course, I don't really enjoy fishing for spawning bass. So it's not one of my fortes because uh, as a big bait fisherman, especially during spawn, I like to get off uh, on the outer edges of spawning areas and try to catch those fish that are coming in. Once they get up on beds, I really don't like to mess with them. But when they're that size, yeah, <laughs> I fished that fish for about two days in a row, and she wasn't having anything. I caught the the buck bass off that bed probably three times, and uh, the big female, she would just swim off. Damn, dude. 
did you ever fish down by this dry branch like this little creek dump dump down it's like almost parallel to the the park boat ramp but it's just in that uh cove to the east of it that goes way back that big creek creek arm that goes way back oh yeah the one that goes way back in there deep yeah yep yeah so that that point out front of that is where the well i mean i'm giving things away but who who cares i guess i don't know i may piss some guys off if the lake opens back up that point out there is pretty good i'll just get into that and then um those creek arms so down that creek arm the the if you're like if you're looking down like you're driving in a boat coming down that creek arm those branches that come off those first two branches that come off on the left hand side mm -hmm. uh there there's a a good area in there a lot of those areas hold really good fish uh boat in one of those creek arms on the google maps <laughs> that's funny as hell dude that boat looks fucking massive it looks like a bullet or something <laughs> Oh man, so there's guys that would go back down there and and sit. And there's areas where those where guys would get back down in there and man, so the gills like especially right now, the gills are are bedded or have been bedded for a while and a lot of those in those opens of those creek arms, man, the the gills build beds down in those those bottoms and those washes in those in the channels. Mm -hmm. And the the bass that get up there and harass them, you know, is unnecessarily large <laughs> and large right. groups and if they get in there good especially so there was like a two or three week period where this year where they were where they were really tight on gizzard shad and shad and running the points and then i went out actually like when lawrence caught that fish so those fish were really hard up on gizzard shads and then i wasn't able to make it back out until the next weekend the following weekend i pull up and i'm fishing strictly offshore points hard bottom areas and i may catch i may have caught like one or two fish and so i decided to run some other areas and i pull around one corner and that one of those gentlemen jim pulled up to me he said hey man he said you caught any good ones today and i said no you know just a couple fours and nothing really of size and he said you running shad pattern or you running gill pattern i was like i'm running shad pattern he was like I don't think the shad pattern's on anymore. You might want to check your gill beds. So I was like, oh, okay. So I turn around, I haul ass around the corner to where I know one of the known, where one of my known areas for gill beds is. I throw on the paperweight or the paper, the FE gill glide. First cast, I stick like a four pounder. Next cast, I stick like a four pounder. And I'm like, that makes sense why I wasn't catching any fish all this morning. Like those fish weren't weren't feeding on shad anymore. They've moved up and they're hard into the gill beds. And uh, I didn't end up catching anything really big that day, but there were some in one of the coves. There were some big, big bass up in a foot of water chasing gills. Uh, probably four or five fish that were eight pounds or better that were up there just chasing gills. And I never, never could get one to bite. I kind of pulled up in the area a little fast and got on top of them too quick and uh just kind of spooked them out of there but man those fish when they got specific on whatever whatever prey they were chasing at that time it seemed like the majority of the fish in the lake were were on that bite yeah dude i i'm just i'm just still looking at this lake and just looking at it from google maps i'm like yeah this 
you know, if I'm going to go fish a lake, this is the type of lake I want. I mean, there's creek arms. There's just every single thing. There's so many points you can target. Tulip, tulipies, or not tulipies, uh, like cattails and stuff just everywhere. All these coves and everything, man. Like, I've been in Texas, like, three weeks, or, or two weeks throughout my entire life combined. And it's just like, this makes me sad that this is currently no longer a waterway that that you're able to go out and enjoy catch fish on or anything like that it's that is just freaking sad so the the and then it's the great place uh, the great thing about it is the whole lake's covered in grass uh the two lower creek arms on the south end of the lake all have uh standing timber in them and then when you when you start going up north towards the dam you lose all that standing timber, but you replace it all. There's some big rock boulders on one point. You replace it with a bunch of hard, uh, you know, shell bottom, clay bottomed points. Uh, hell, the the first point that Lawrence and I fished on that day, you can be probably 60 yards. At one point last year, you could be 60 yards away from the bank, almost out where you look like you're out in the middle of the lake. And it'd be like 12 foot of water and there were lily pads growing out there. And I mean, just, just the way it's set up, I mean, if you were able to figure out the bite for that day, you could murder, just absolutely murder fish. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not talking to, you know, I'm talking about fish five, six, eight pounds on the regular basis. Hmm. That's just, so so fucking crazy so so wild man it's just so sad to hear hear your enthusiasm talking about this and then we just spent the last two hours just you know explaining how fucked up the situation is for this for this lake and, and what the future holds for it yeah so i mean uh i don't know like i said selfishly i would love for the state to take it back uh, but then again, after, you know, finding out all the information and everything else, uh, I mean, the state did this to themselves. Uh, you know, I can't say that I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be mad that they took it back, but I, I think it would be probably the, the messed up thing to do. But if they did it, it's not like I'm going <laughs> to walk away and never fish it before because I think it's an abomination to property rights. Like, that, that was my go-to place, man. I mean, selfishly, I'm, if it opens back up, I'll be there the day it opens. Yeah. It, Especially if it know. gets a good cool down and nobody, no fishing pressure at all for about a month. Yeah, dude, that, that would probably... Best case scenario, it's it's off limits for month, two months, and then you know miraculously, bill gets passed and stuff, and those fish have just gone stupid. They haven't seen a lure in two months, just been gorging freely. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that's kind of, that was kind of the deal when it. I mean, even when it closed for what the week and a half, two weeks, and that was early in the year. That was almost right around. So our fish spawned weird. This year, I mean, we had, I had bass on beds from February all the way up till really the end of May. I'm sure there may be still some up on beds right now out there. Uh, I mean, we got, we got cold and then we got hot during February and then we got cold again and then we got hot. And so 
seemed like these fish would run and hit beds for three or four days and then turn around and they'd be back offshore. I mean, you can even tell that if you, if, you know, cause like I said, it's fairly clear water in some areas and you get into school of fry and you'd see, you know, fry that were, you know, an inch, two inches long. And then you'd come up on a school of fry right behind them. And they were, you know, 10 centimeters long, or, you know, tiny 10 millimeters long. And you'd be like, you know, that's, that's because that bass spawned early and this one spawned later. And, you know, bass spawn multiple times in a year, so or multiple times during the spawning period. But it just seemed like our our spawning period was really elongated this year, which it also had to do with the, that lake was at the end of last year was probably six to eight feet low, and it's probably about a foot and a half low right now. So I mean, we got a good five six foot of water uh, that really opened up a lot of. Uh, a lot of new cover, a lot of uh, different types of grass that got down in the lake in the shallows. And and it also set up where last year's grass lines started growing in before everything else. So this year you had that really good, I don't know if you've ever fished any grass lakes where the lake was low and then it pushes back up the next year and your hydrilla or your coontail grows in in deeper water. Yeah. And so you get like that that trough hump and then the drop off on the backside of that grass line and man that sets up great for fishing shallow because those bass will move up on the backside of that hump in the really really shallow water because it's open because there's not any grass there because that was shoreline you know the year before and so then they had that grass to get into and so those especially on the glide bait bite those fish would really key on those grass humps off those edges and so usually for me on any given day it was figuring out either those fish were set up on the inside eating bait that they were pushing up on the bank or they would set up on the outside. So a lot of times for me, it was, I'd cut over to the first grass line that I'd fish and it was, are they eating from, am I, am I following the Thule line and staying on the bank and casting out? Or am I following the, the outside, the grass ump line and casting in? It was either they were eating the bait, you know, coming, from the bank out or they were eating the bait coming from deep water up over and so once you figured out which way they were eating really you mean you could just run especially last last march april may into june i mean it was just figuring out which way they were eating and you just ran down the bank and just wore them out wow dude (laughs) hmm i guess wrapping it up here what what do you have planned? I mean, what what's going through your head that this awesome spot that you spent, you know, so many hours picking apart and stuff, what what's the backup plan? Was there other lakes that you fished around the area that held good fish that you're going to kind of have to resort to more often now? Or are you back to square one, you know, pretty much essentially fresh into an area and you got you to gotta just find find new water? So there was other lakes that I was fishing prior to this. Uh, and a lot of them, I mean, we're in Texas, man. Every lake holds monster fish. It's just a matter of, of how many monster fish and how your ability to set up and fish the, you know, fish my style of fishing to get them to eat uh, or learning new styles in order to get them to eat. And so some of the lakes that I used to fish, and then I've also got some, some other lakes, uh, a few that I want to run to that are south of me. 
and then a few that I want to run to to the east and a few that I want to run to to the west. Since I'm located in central Texas, so Lawrence and I are both located in central Texas, but I'm located more on the east side of central Texas and he's located more on the west side of central Texas uh, as far as like the Dallas-Fort Worth split go. So uh, he fishes more of the lakes back to the west and I like to fish more of the lakes back to the east. West, you've got rocky shorelines, standing timber and deep water, uh, bluff walls and things like that. And then east, you've got grass lakes and grass lakes are kind of what I grew up on. But there's some areas, I mean, there's some lakes that I've done some research into that I've been wanting to go fish and just never made the journey because I've had it, I guess I've been spoiled. And so, uh, I mean, I'm in Texas, I guess I'm spoiled regardless, but um, I mean, there's some new, I guess some new bodies of water that I want to go fish that I had never fished before that I think will be interesting. I mean, you were talking about Athens earlier. Athens is on my list. I've never, never gone over and fished Athens, although I hear great things. I just know it's, it's a really pressured lake for its size. Um, but then there's some lakes back to the West. I'm not going to say any names because uh, a lot of them are those uh, quiet backwoods, smaller lakes that I like to fish out of my kayak that uh, there's a lot of locals on those lakes that, that don't talk about what goes on on them. Yeah. And then, you, know, you talk to guys or you know somebody in the know and you kind of mention and it's, you know, what's said here stays here. Don't open your mouth. Don't put this place out. I mean, there's that. So I take a vacation every year or have for the past two years out to East Texas to Lake Nacogdoche, which is a biz, big bass factory. And there's a lot of good lakes in that area within a 30 minute drive of Nacogdoche. And I've had days because we usually go out and we stay like seven to 10 days and I've, you know, fished two or three days on knack and it's just not fishing worth a crap for me. And I'll load the kayak up and drive 20 minutes. And I'm at another body of water that has a, that has a lake record that's 16 pounds plus. And then there's several bodies of water out there that don't have any records or anything mentioned about them. And if you get caught talking about them, they will cut your tongue out and drag you behind a pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. And, but the, I mean, the, the fishing is great all over the state, except for, uh, I'm not going to say except for the lakes right here next to me. I mean, the lakes. So like I'm close to closer to Lake Whitney and Lake Aquila than I am anything, but Lake Aquila is a really shallow water, really shallow water, water lake. Ooh. Um, that fish hold in specific areas and it's really difficult for me to fish out of a kayak because a lot of the places you have to run from hole to hole, there's deep spots in the lake where those fish hold and they're great distances apart. So if I don't get on a bite, you know, my first spot, then I've got to pedal four miles across the lake to get to the next one. Well, that's just not really conducive to, to at least going out and fishing. And then the other lake close to me is Lake Whitney. Uh, and Lake Whitney used to be a hellacious striper lake and smallmouth bass lake. Uh, but back in the early 90s, it got golden algae and it killed a lot of the smallmouth and a lot of the, the striper off. And, you know, you guys are up north and your stripers stay up closer to the surface for longer periods of time as where our striper here, you know, move up in... Uh, November, December, January, 
and by late February, you know, they're moving back out to deeper water. And then come this time of year, you know, you're having to use downriggers and fish them in 80 foot deep. So uh, I don't really like the whole fact of getting out and trying to chase stripers on a big lake and, and then only being able to fish for them for half of a year fishing baits that I want to fish. Yeah. And, <clears throat> oh, man, dude, I'm just... I'm pissed off about this and like I'm 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 seventeen hundred miles away. That's probably that's way too far. I'm like a thousand miles away. I'm I'm just so in shock that it can something like this can just go so far and before somebody raises a stink about it and then, you know, once once everybody starts to worry about it, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the moral the moral of this episode is don't cry because it's over. Be happy that it happened, or smile because it happened, or something like that. I guess like you got you got a solid two years out on this lake, and you know caught some good fish out of it by the sounds of it. And I mean, you you learned this lake, and I guess essentially the last two years you could have been fishing dead water, or you know just just whatever else. I guess and so I get you got the memories, man, and that's unfortunately. About the only thing that you can take away from this on a positive note, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that it it happens. I, I won't say that it's ever ever happened in this fashion to me, but I mean, progress, I guess, uh, changes changes take place, and they not always they don't always benefit you to the means that you want them, or at least that you think at that time. The way I look at it is then I mean this gives me an opportunity to go chase waters that I've been putting back uh you know, I've done my research on and I've studied uh topographical maps and everything of some of these other lakes and areas that I wanted to fish. I've just never made the journey to them because uh I knew what potential there was in a body of water that was closer to me. So I guess this point in time it's time for me to start running a little bit further and checking out new bodies of water and trying to find my next my next honey hole yeah yeah man and i guess you're gonna pull anything good from this experience as long as it's not one of those five or six other parks you were talking about earlier this will hopefully be the only only time this ever happens to you (laughs) i hope so so there was this this is it's happened in the state one other time the but the park wasn't a state park it was owned by the city uh down in college station some guys may know and this lake's about to open back up uh gibbons creek where the power plant owned the property and the county leased it from them or the or the city and then they shut down the power plant and closed the lake and it got bought by a private investor uh who's now building a neighborhood and an industrial park on one side, I think is what they're using the uh, old power plant area for. And I think from rumors I've heard is that lake supposed to be opening back up here pretty soon. I never fished it, but uh, some of the guys I worked with, some of the older gentlemen um, in our shop, they, they're big time fishermen. And they've told me, you know, you know, that was a lake that, that they had happened. This same thing happened to them back in the day where, uh, where that was an area where they went and fished on a regular basis and then you couldn't go there anymore and here it is 10 or 15 years down the road and that lake's getting ready to open back up and i'm not sure i think it's going to be limited to the public i think you'll 
they do like 20 boat passes a day and you'll have to like call ahead and make reservations and get a day pass or however they're going to do it. But, you know, maybe there's hope in the future. Yeah, damn, man. I mean, just this whole story, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this because I, I was scrolling through your posts and I read it and I, I started to scroll and then I saw Gail comment on it. And I'm like, oh, let's, let's, I, I enjoy reading Gail's, uh, Gail's comments. So I open it up and he's like, what happened? Like, I've got no idea what's going on with this situation. <clears throat> and I read your comment. Plethora of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I saw your comment replying to him. And I was like, oh, like, I, I want to talk to him about this. Like, I want to hear what he's got to say. I want to hear the full story, what his experiences are at this place, and just kind of hear what's going on. Because obviously that's something that... <sighs> 99.9% of us who who are listening to this episode probably have no idea wh- what is going on down there. So I appreciate you coming on and shedding some light on this. And it made it made me think I I was kind of doing some research while while you were talking and there's uh there's a po- there's a power company that owns a dam um up at home and it's just a, a absolute magical river that dumps into Lake Michigan. And they're talking about removing that, like the power company wants to remove this dam and they want to remove a bunch of other ones throughout the state. And that just had me thinking like, wow, like if these power companies want to, they could just absolutely, you know, take, take their profit from the property, blow up their dams, do whatever they want. This, this, uh, just take them down in general and just screw everybody over. And it's like, wow, I, Really hope they don't do that because we'd pretty much essentially be in the same kind of boat you're in, I guess. And it's, ah, uh, man, it's it's crazy um, that it comes down to that sort of thing. It's just like, wow, they, it may, maybe they don't really care about the resources we have and, and the great fishing that we have that brings so many, at least up at home, um, that river brings, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to the local economy because it's so like world renowned. And it's like, wow, if they get rid of that dam, you know, all that stuff goes up in smoke. And, you know, you talking about it, it just kind of became surreal. It's like that really could happen. Like you could, I could wake up in a month and that dam could be getting blown up. Like it's so wild to think about. I mean, that's the same thing with Fairfield. You look that, so you voted the best state park in the state last year, 80,000 80, plus visitors last year. And you look at what that does to the economy because that's not a large community out there. And most of those people, their families worked for the power plant and then the power plant closes and then they have to go into regular retail jobs and construction or whatever else there locally. And then they turn around and they lose the lake and the lake is what brought all of your, you know, outside business and all your tourist business. I mean, uh, all the gas stations there, you know, I could, you could pull up to, there's a, a gas station they just built off the highway. That's really nice that you could pull up there any given morning. And there's four or five bass boats out there, you know, filling up with fuel. The guys are inside getting them a, a burger or whatever else. And, uh, you know, filling up with gas and putting ice in the coolers. And I mean, I, that's where, that was my stop every morning. When I went out there, was, there's was a Whataburger in that gas station. I'd stop and grab breakfast at Whataburger and then, you know, put gas in my truck or get ice or, you know, drinks or tobacco or whatever else. And all that money's gone from all those businesses. I mean, there's times where I had issues with my kayak 
uh, I lost a pedal on my pedal drive system and I couldn't get the, the bolt to thread back on because the, the threads were boogered up and went to a mechanic shop there. Yo, basically went to drop my boat in the water, realized the pedal had fallen off, couldn't get it to go back on, turned around, drove back into town to a mechanic shop and paid a guy 10 bucks to run a, a, a tap through that pedal and then screwed it back on so that it would go back on. And I mean, all that, you know, you can, you can imagine all the guys, you know, they go out there and, dead batteries on their on their trolling motors or everything else and yeah. everything else that they were doing to support that community you know that's that was the main thing that brought people there yeah man that's that's fucking crazy but i i like i said i appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this because like i said nobody would know about it if if this wasn't the case and uh yeah man i I don't know. I don't feel like there's any good way to end this because it is such a, not necessarily like a sad thing, but it is kind of a downer episode. But I, I wanted you to come on and just talk about this because, like I said, it's something that nobody knows about and it's something that's affecting a lot of people, like we just said. So I guess well, ending- I this, man, if, the, if the lake opens back up and you ever decide to make a trip down here, I'll or if do anyone that. else listening to this podcast and the lake opens back up and you know that I know what I know about the lake, holler at me and i mean bringing guys that you know there were other guys at the gathering that were like i can't believe you're taking all those people to your lake and i was like man the lake's getting ready to close anyways and you know cody's from georgia and and uh he already fished the lake and he bows from alabama and you know josh blues from ohio and Carlton's I mean, from Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, Carlton's from louisiana i mean none of these guys are going to come over and fish this lake again i was like what's What's the purpose of holding out something like this when all these guys came to Texas to catch a fish? Like we all had the same passion and these guys are never going to be here again. I'm not, they're like, you know, some of the guys there, they're like, you're going to burn your lake. I'm like, it's going to be closed soon anyways. And, you know, even if it doesn't close, these guys aren't, I mean, Lawrence is three hours away and he, in two years' time, he had never come over and fished it with me. Well, and I can say that about Ivy. I'm three hours away from Ivy, and I've never gone over and fished that with him. I don't know. We, you know, we just we are creatures of habit, and you stick to what you know and the lake that you know. And and I think, I mean, guys up north, I think you really have to worry about people burning your bite because there's limited amount of limited amounts of water, and everybody's up a whole lot closer to each other. But down here in Texas, man. If you want to make a journey to someone else's lake, like you're taking a, a day to to run across there and fish it. And, you know, if you get out there and you don't know the lake and you don't get bit, you're not going to go back. Yeah, man, exactly. Here it's uh, it's pretty easy to, to if you find somebody's spot. I mean, our fish, as much as people don't like to say it, our fish are gonna eat a pepsi can if you throw it in front of them and, and you and you give it enough tries so i mean it's all about it's all about keeping your spot under wraps and keep i guess more essentially keeping where the big fish are under wraps but i don't know man but yeah i will take you up on that offer if that thing opens up in a month or two months or a year or two years dude i will be on that first damn i'll be on that first uh first damn plane down there and uh, we'll we'll go out there and we'll, we'll dude. I catch a six pounder. I'd be the happiest kid out there. <laughs> yeah, I could easily put you on a six. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! I mean, like, like a I mean, 
it, you go up and like I said, if that fishing pressure dies, like up in that discharge channel, I think there was a day where I pulled up there with the, uh, between I made two casts with the paperweight gill or excuse me, the, the fish, everything gill. And then two casts with a paperweight. And I had 21 pounds in the boat on four back-to-back fish. That's absolutely ridiculous. I guess that's, that's in an area like the size of a, I don't know, like a above ground average above ground swimming pool. Oh my gosh. Um, before, well, I guess th- this will be double, just a little question here. Are you going to start posting footage? And then if you are, while we're wrapping it up here, what's your Instagram handle or what's your YouTube channel where guys can kind of wait to see you post this stuff if you're going to start to? So I don't know if I'm ever going to post footage. So I sent, like I said, I sent a bunch of that footage to Vic uh, with a thought that he was going to post a bunch of it. So, I mean, he has a bunch of it. A bunch of it that I caught on the paperweight and the fish everything gill. I mean the the video that I have that's up on my Instagram, which is uh, Zaquavius underscore polynomial. Yeah, <laughs> but Matt made the in my Instagram for me back when we first got into fishing swim baits because he told me I needed an Instagram because that's where everybody did everything swim bait. Uh, so basically, my Instagram is just set up for for swim bait fishing like everybody that i'm following is all swim bait fishers i don't even think i follow like my own family on there that's it's kind of terrible but <laughs> it is what it is uh but it's zaquavius z-a-q-u-a-v-i-o-u-s underscore polynomial p-o-l-y-n-o-m-i-a-l um so i'll probably i mean I don't know if I'll ever go back and post a bunch of the footage. Uh, I'm not really good at editing film or anything, as you can probably see from the videos I have posted up there. But, uh, and a lot of it I don't have on film, man. A lot of the time it was, it was go out and uh, the camera to me was always a hassle. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, for a long period of time, there was a time when I kept it running 24-7 while I was on the boat. And I learned a lot from watching myself fish, but that's really what I used the videos for was just to learn what I, what my tendencies were and why I was losing fish and everything else. Uh, since then, I mean, I've got some stuff on film, but just not a whole lot. So, but I post up fish pictures and some of my fishing adventures on there. Uh, and then I post them up in the universe uh, and just kind of do my things that way. Hell yeah, man. I think, uh, I think guys look through your page and really enjoy it. And I think they're going to hear this story and they're going to follow you or they're going to see your name pop up on universe here in the next month or two. And you're going to be, you know, holding a seven, eight pounder and people are gonna be like, Oh, like he, he found another lake. Like that makes me, <laughs> makes me feel better. It wasn't, it wasn't such a bad story as it is. And like you said, you've got other spots that you want to try to explore. So, I mean, like I said, maybe maybe this is uh, something that needed to happen, I guess, make you a little bit better angler or maybe give you uh, chances at bigger fish, I guess, even though you've talked about how big the fish were at this place. But, you know, everything happens for a reason, so uh, so hopefully, hopefully something good comes out of it. Yeah, I hope so too, man. Uh, I mean, you can go back on my Instagram and look. Uh, there's a big football fish back in the pictures uh, that – was caught on the uh, Tum Tum. And that was actually a lake that I was, that I went to for two weeks prior to going to Fairfield. And uh, that lake 
holds monster fish. That fish was just shy, like nine pounds. And she was only like 23 inches long. She built like a basketball with a tail. Uh, So, I mean, there's lakes around here that I know that, that hold these fish that I know I can get on a bite on. It's just a matter of going to visit them again. Oh yeah, man. Is there uh, is there anything else that you want to say before we close it down? Anything you want to say to the masses? Address them if you have anything. Can I shout out a few people? Yeah, dude, yeah go for it. A few brands, uh, guys that that really have taken care of me, and guys that I came up through the game with. Um, just want to shout out uh, F5 Custom Rods. I kind of kind of came into the game with Brad, and uh, he's always taken care of me, and I've always tried to take care of him. And then uh, Matt Servant and Matt Lures. Uh, if you guys aren't fishing mat lures, you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, realism, quality of the baits, and, uh, I mean, fishability, and they're big fish catchers. And otherwise, peace, love, and until the next one. Hell yeah, man. Well, uh, we'll get you, you get on some good fish at a new lake, we'll get you back on maybe uh, maybe in the fall or something, and we'll, we'll break down your new spot and what it took to uh, to figure it out and how you break down a lake over topography and stuff like that. Absolutely. Hell yeah, man. Sounds good. So as always, I will put uh, Zach's Instagram handle in the uh, in the show notes. You guys go follow him if you didn't have a pen and paper to write down his Instagram name. And uh, as always, if you guys don't follow the uh, the podcast Instagram already, scales and tails underscore podcast, make sure you guys give that a follow. When you guys are hearing this, hopefully the zine will be in my hands and uh, they'll be up on the site. Hopefully, who knows? I, I don't know. And then uh, if you guys... Don't already check out the Patreon, get uh, get automatic first dibs on the sticker, get first dibs on the zine a day or two before they actually drop, as well as behind-the-scenes stuff. And here close, uh, here soon, they're going to start getting some some real big behind-the-scenes stuff that we've been working on. And then, uh, what? there's something else. Oh, if you guys haven't already given the podcast a, a rating on your listening platform, please do that. helps out a lot, and I always enjoy seeing reviews and... Um, reviews and like the written reviews and the kind of the star ratings so i think i think that's everything i don't know you gotta start writing this stuff down but i want to thank zach for coming on i want to thank him for kind of being an open book for us and explaining the uh the the rise and downfall of of this lake and what's so up about or what's like so up in the air about it right now and you know Maybe maybe he doesn't have to come on in, on a future episode and talk about the new lake he had to go find. Maybe, you know, by the grace of whoever that this lake opens back up and he gets to go back and fishing. You know, hell, maybe this episode's only up for a month and then i got to take it down because he, he talked about it too much and he doesn't want to give that stuff away. So, like I said, I want to thank Zach for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a little bit of a downer, but but we took it in stride. We We, we kind of discussed it and, you know. It's up in the air, like I said. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Now I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys.